Episode 100 of Astonishing Legends is brought to you by Squarespace, The Great Courses Plus, Audible, Blue Apron, and our contributors at Patreon.com. A long time ago in 2012, Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess had an idea. Two years later, they actually did something with it, and the first episode of Astonishing Legends was uploaded for the world to pass judgment on. Truthfully, they thought they'd be lucky if more than a few hundred people ever listened to it. They saw it as a temporary experiment. It's been a little over three years since that first episode, and Astonishing Legends has now been downloaded over 30 million times. And here we are tonight, at the milestone of episode 100. And oh, what an episode it is. Tonight, Astonishing Legends presents Arkapalooza, a team never before assembled on air in one podcast, together again for the first time in history. From the depths of the rabbit hole to the heights of heaven's hutch, dishing secrets the devil himself doesn't know. Stories too astonishing to be ignored, too outrageous to be believed, and too rambling and tangential to be followed clearly while doing a somewhat complicated task. So whatever you do, don't touch that dial! Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is also me. Well, we're officially live. We have 11 brave followers on Twitter and 66 likes on our Facebook page. Let's see what happens. That was me in an email to Forrest on October 1st, 2014. Join us tonight for part one of our Arkapalooza, our 100th episode extravaganza featuring select members from the Astonishing Research Corps and their own personal stories. Let's meet tonight's panel from the Astonishing Research Corps. Our first panelist nearly doesn't require an introduction, but within the arc, she is known as Tesseract. Miss Tess Feifel started her tenure with Astonishing Legends on episode 23 back in 2015 for part one of the now infamous Dyatlov Pass series. She is without question the strange glue that holds the show and all of its moving parts together. When not focusing on the show, Tess can be found loudly proclaiming that, yes, Shakespeare did indeed write Shakespeare to anyone that will listen. Tess's love of H.P. Lovecraft, witchcraft, and fine wines make her an excellent dinner guest, especially when accompanied by her husband, the actor Adam Scott, who may or may not be aware that they are married. I created a tulpa of Adam Scott. He's with me right now. Our second panelist, known several months to us only as your UFO guy, is Robert Anthony Christofferson, no relation, and his true origins are a bit of a mystery. However, ARC Research has acquired fragments of a birth certificate. It's difficult to read due to burn damage and heavy redaction, but this document could possibly support the popular opinion that Rob was not only the last man to see still-missing singer-songwriter Jim Sullivan alive, but that he may actually be Jim Sullivan. Without DNA samples, there is only conjecture. However, nothing will bring the ARC together quicker at a company retreat than Rob playing a guitar by the campfire after Chuckwagon. All of that notwithstanding, he is the preeminent expert on UFOs and mysterious occurrences. What am I doing? Panelist number three, Dr. Christopher Cogswell, Ph.D., is the mad scientist, a member of the esteemed Explorers Club. He has led three different polar explorations to the Antarctic. Doc Cogs infamously is known for his immense collection of artifacts and relics. 
This collection was the subject of controversy during its brief 2015 Smithsonian exhibit, Cogswell's Cabinet of Curiosities. Memorably, the museum staff reported strange occurrences such as glowing floating orbs of light, screaming paintings, and other unexplainable events. He is now acting director of research of MUFON. I'm not convinced this is real. Mommy in exile. Our files on Marie Mayhew are still somewhat incomplete. Graduating from a California state school, she appears to have been recruited into a federal government position for a number of years until publicly resurfacing some time later. The nature of this position is unknown. However, there is evidence that she was in Philadelphia, Brazil, and a small northwestern logging town. This was pieced together through declassified expense reports, mostly for coffee, approved by a deputy director, Cole. Hang on. I'm fourth in line at Pete's Coffee. The first person I'd like to introduce is Tess Feifel. Say hello, Tess. Hi. And then I would also like to say hello to Marie Mayhew. Marie, are you there? I am. Excellent. And Dr. Chris Cogswell. Hello. Hello from the Mad Scientist Podcast. And Mr. Rob Christofferson, your UFO guy. Hello, people. Hello. So here we are. It's all of us. And you can catch Rob on the Our Strange Skies podcast. Yes. That is correct. Unless he's changed the name again. <laughs> Wait, did I change it the first time? What? <laughs> no, I just noticed your Twitter handle changes every week. Your Twitter changes handle changes week. like yeah. every couple of days, right? <laughs> well, your you know, just keep it young and fresh, I guess. <laughs> young and fresh. Young and fresh. So, Tess, let's start with you. I think it would be interesting for people to hear how you... Honestly, the research core wouldn't exist if it weren't for you. So... <laughs> Well, it, because it, would be, kept, it would be eight people sending in the same article. Right. Yeah. You kept emailing us, is what I remember. How, how did Correct. it... Correct. Yeah. When did you find the show, and what made you think to reach out to us? So, I was listening to Astonishing Legends, and I was about to go into my senior year of college and realized this is my last chance to work for someone for free. So, I thought <laughs> I would reach out to the guys via email. They were in the Oak Island, I think it was episode one or two... And there might have been a little hint of Shakespeare. And I gave them my background and my resume. And I also said, you know, by the way, Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. And that was in July. <laughs> and then I didn't hear anything We, we overlooked for... that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't hear anything for two weeks. So I thought, yes. uh, you know, those guys, they're big shots, whatever. I'll <laughs> yeah, never hear we're from big them. Shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day I got an email in my inbox and it was Scott and Forrest, and they asked me some more questions about Shakespeare. I gave my little analysis, and I said, you know, by the way, if you want a researcher, I went to Oxford for a semester, and I've worked at my school library for four years, and I just really love to do this because I love storytelling and, and the paranormal. And Scott said, okay, hang on, hang on. So I heard my little bit in the Oak Island episode. So technically, that's my first research role um, was about Francis Bacon not being Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sticking to your guns. I am. I had a very um, twee professor my first semester of college scream into the classroom, this is not a Shakespeare class, but Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. <laughs> and we never talked about Shakespeare again. <laughs> That's amazing. After that aired, I didn't hear from them for, I think, another month. Oh, my God. Uh, the Fermi episode. So, you know, <laughs> our Fermi... usual immediate response. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was pretty quick. <laughs> the Fermi Paradox 
episode, I think, aired in between me waiting. And then you and Forrest were like, okay, we'd like for you to come on. Like, we're going to do Dyatlov, which is my favorite mystery. And I was psyched, so psyched, in fact, that I was at my beach house. And when the house was built, the builder built the stairs three quarters of an inch too small. Uh So that means it's really easy to slide down them if you're running. Yeah. So my mom was on the bottom floor. I was on the top. I ran downstairs, slid and said, I'm going to do Asashi Legends. They want me. They, you know, they care. And I'm going to like research for them. And uh, she was like, did you just fall down the stairs? (laughs) And Uh, and that would have been our first lawsuit. (laughs) (laughs) Research related injury. I'm sorry it took us so long to write you back. Uh, no, I, I don't know well, what they're that thinking. Was, uh, I think at a time when we were still pretty new and figuring out what we would need, you know, what we could have you do, what would be fair, and still add, I guess, synergy to the mix. Having somebody else besides us, which yeah. we were used to, you know, Forrest just is painting this differently right now. By the way, what he said uh, to me <laughs> was, "Oh, do you- if you want to start a research group, that's going to be your thing." <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Now he's remembering it differently because I brought this up and I said, man, you know what would be great is if we had like a really smart, sharp college grad person. There you go. You know, just uh, that could dig up stuff that we just don't have time to. Because when you're researching on the internet, well, we all have an internet access. So unless you have something that's outside of that, like access to JSTOR or LexisNexis, you know, a special program that's, uh, you know, only available to the academic community or you're going to get mostly the same things eventually. And so what then benefits us is somebody who has a critical eye that says, like, this is not just the same old BuzzFeed article that's being passed around by everybody giving you the same information. Let's go beyond that. So that's where we kind of had to really figure out how do we utilize somebody that's this eager and uh, that is this sharp and not waste their time. Yeah. Going to Oxford and, and knowing about Shakespeare, it all just came around at the perfect time. Do you remember when we first started talking about creating this group and having it be larger and, you know, more than just you helping us? Because I don't. It's all a blur to me. It was during the KGC episodes. <laughs> okay. Because Lake Baikal was the first yeah. we had researchers for. I remember being in class and for one second, selfishly thinking, am I not enough? Do I not amuse you? Am I being replaced? (laughs) Are you not entertained? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) That was not the case. Um, So I think it was around KGC, and I remember KGC was a tough one because we had that mix up with the pictures. I don't know if you guys remember that. I don't remember remember after that. that happened. I was like, okay, we definitely need to get that started. Oh, did we do something wrong? We said something wrong. I, I did something wrong. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, this guy in the casket and this guy that's alive are the same oh, person. Oh, right, right. I remember not now. The same yes. person. Yeah, it was a different dude. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I believe that was uh, Ferdinand, Mexico, maybe. Uh, oh, one yes. of them. I think there's a few. Yeah. But that happens. You know, you, we see that, you know, every other topic we research, especially older ones, will just happen now. People mixing up the giants. Yeah. Thinking yeah. that uh, the San Diego Neanderthal was. The guy from uh, the Midwest yeah. at the same time. And yeah. it's easy to do because people are just repeating the same uh, misinformation. And mostly, Definitely. you know, innocently, they just don't know. They just don't dig into it or have the time to. So what I was getting to earlier is that you can have a bunch of resources and people digging the stuff up. 
but it has to be managed. All that information coming in has to be compartmentalized, put in the right place. And that's what really Tess is great at, yeah. especially with the <laughs> with an app like River that we can filter stuff and she can direct people. So we're not all doing the same thing. Here we are at episode 100 and we've only just started... <laughs> multitasking in terms of developing future episodes. Just now, 100 episodes uh, in, three years in, well, we're just now getting to the point where we have more than one topic being worked on at a time. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's but that, <laughs> Well, that's... <laughs> no, we've always had ideas. And when we tell people, it's like, yeah, we've thrown your idea into our story folder. Well, it, it is a big Google Doc that has all these notes on it. But what I think people don't realize is that when we go to pick stuff, we bounce a lot of ideas off tests pretty much every time, unless sometimes, because sometimes we do try surprise tests, like with it, with the <laughs> witch. It's like, ooh, she's going to like this one for yeah. Halloween. Kuska. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 And, that surprised uh, you know, me. Yeah, that was a suggestion from a listener. We do try and pace them so that it's not four UFO topics in a row or even two Bigfoot stories in a row. One will be a little bit more historical. Those take a little more time with something spooky next and something conversational. So we try and give some variety. And Tess is great with uh, getting that all organized and lined up. So we're trying to do it. Well, Tess, thank you so much. All right, we should move on to talk to the other members of the ARC who are in here. I guess we'll just go and everyone is, I'm not trying to rank anybody. So let's talk to Marie. Marie, since your connection's working right now, what? <laughs> why did you, Don't jinx yeah, it. Yeah, why did you introduce yourself to our listeners? I'm Marie Mayhew. I have to drink more coffee. And I am the co-host with Dr. Chris Cogswell on Mad Scientist Podcasts. I'm so excited. Hopefully my my Skype is going to hang in there that we all got a chance to finally connect, even if it's virtually. This is great. Yeah. That's the other thing. We've met you in person. We have not, yes. not met Tess in person, ever. Marie's met me. Yeah. I have met Tess we in person. <laughs> I'm the linchpin. I've met everybody. Yeah. Well, you travel a lot for your day job, right? For the day job, I do some travel. Yeah. But, you know, not nearly as interesting. I don't get to go to, like, Greyfire or ranches in Utah or anything like that. It's it's much more mundane than that. Uh, you had a little bit of an incident with a barista there a few days ago? <laughs> you want to you talk about that? <laughs> no, it's really weird. I was going in. I was getting my coffee. I had my daughter, who is 10 in tow. And I'm getting coffee, and I'm buying beans, and I show the guy my ID and say my name, which is Marie Mayhew. And he looks at it, and he kind of gives me this funny look, and immediately I'm like, you know, he's thinking I'm going to run out of here with a coffee, or <laughs> well, my usually what happens. tip within sure. the last, yeah, within the last week, you know, what have I done wrong? And, and he's like, do I know you? Your name is really familiar. And I'm like, dude, you know, you're like 19. <laughs> I'm like, if I know you, then there's bigger issues out there. Um, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. And then he's getting the coffee and you can tell, like, he's kind of thinking about stuff. And he's, he finally turns to me and he goes, I'm just going to ask you a really weird question. And I'm, I'm like, well, go, oh, great. You know, my daughter's ears are perking up and she's like, what? What? And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Um, and he's like, um, do you know a podcast called Astonishing Legends. And I said, oh, man. And immediately, like, my daughter was like, yes, she, she's in the ark. She knows up. And I'm like, okay, you know, we don't know this guy, Julia. You know, this, I'm like, yeah. And I'm, he's like, oh, my God. He's like, I listened to that. I thought your name sounded familiar when I saw it because I just heard one of the episodes where they were talking about 
think it was probably something on Bigelow. And immediately he's like, tell me about Scott. Tell me about Forrest. And I'm like, thank you for listening. Can I have my coffee? <laughs> but it was just really, it was, a, wow. it was a really big trip because one, there was something very disjointed about it. Because when he saw me, I don't think he looked like probably don't look like somebody who would do investigatory work into the supernatural, into the the strange anomalies in the world. I look like a soccer mom. So he was really trying to put this stuff together. And he was like, damn, I know that name. (laughs) There's my 15 minutes of notoriety. I got so excited because about two years ago, I walked into a, a bar in Los Feliz here, which is not too far from where Forrest lives in L.A., Somebody saw my hat with the logo on it coming in and was like, wait, is that a... And he said the wrong thing first. He said yeah, amazing, uh, amazing Legends uh, amazing or Amazing Tales. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't quite remember the name, but yeah. that was the first time anyone had recognized us yeah. from the show at yeah. all. Yeah, turned out to be really cool. His name's Sam Macon. He's a director, an accomplished yeah. director, music videos, all kinds of really cool stuff. And he wound up shooting our video that we made for Patreon with that has a Bigfoot in it, if you yeah. haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, he was there with Travis... <laughs> And his girlfriend, Stacy. Yes. I think all three of them had listened and were like, you listen to this? Yeah. What? And and (laughs) that's the first time you realize that there are people out in the world who are listening. Yeah, Someone's listening. listening. But that's the funny thing is I wear the hat all the time because I'm bald. I don't care that I'm bald, (laughs) but like I don't want to get my head burnt. So I'm wearing a hat a lot. There's a lot of shine, a lot of reflective shine. It's very bright in Los Angeles, Uh, but but no no one else has ever said a thing. Yeah, Yeah, no one looks at (laughs) hat logos. They're so ubiquitous. It was just amazing. He keyed onto it, but our thinking was that, you know, he's a visual guy. That's his job in the visual mediums. Somehow he he recognized it, and uh, so yeah, we invited him over, we chatted him up, and and, and we're still uh, friends. Yeah, they're still uh, good friends of the show, and uh, it was just a strange thing. So yes, Marie, we know how that is. Yeah, but what I was going to say, Marie, is you don't have to worry because that's the only time it's ever happened to me anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I've ever worn my shirt through airports, I mean, nobody, nothing, no, no it's vacant <laughs> stares from everybody. You're more famous than we are. What do you want to say, Chris Cogswell? The only time <laughs> anyone has ever recognized my name from the show or from any show, yeah was I was complaining about a Bite Squad order being late. (laughs) I was straight up like, I was at work. I was having a bad day. I was so hangry. Yeah. I was like, I don't care. I'm getting a burrito. I'm so mad. And I ordered the burrito on Bite Squad because like in Minneapolis where I am, Bite Squad's super good usually. And the food never came. I was watching the guy on the map just like drive around my building. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why can't he get to this parking lot? We're right there. And so finally I saw the car drive like away and I was like, oh my God. So it'd been like an, you know, an hour at this point. So I just called up bite squad. I was like, you know, I want to cancel the order or whatever. And I actually got an email from bite squad support on Twitter saying that the guy that was writing back was like, I love your podcast. I love Astonishing Legends. I'm so sorry your food didn't get to you. You know, can I send you like a free meal, you know, a coupon code or whatever? And I was like, um, you know, immediately my tone shifted. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so happy you listened to the show. I'm so sorry I was being a jerk. I just really wanted this burrito and, you know. I ended up sending this guy a packet of stickers and like a doodle and a letter and whatever. And like, so now I'm sure they have me on like the do not listen to list at at, uh, Bite Squad headquarters here. But it was like, I was like, oh my God, the one time someone like recognizes me, I'm basically throwing a tantrum over a burrito. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, I was like ridiculous. At least you and Marie sounds like you've gone full celebrity here. Yeah. Yeah, Just like... (laughs) 
I'm big in the burrito delivery community. <laughs> <You're another laughs> That's <laughs> why I finally took my stickers off my car because I was like, what if I accidentally cut somebody <laughs> off? And then it's like, oh, oh my God. Just Scott Philbrook. You're just a listener. Yeah, yeah at that point. <laughs> Cogs, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay, yeah, I'm Chris Cogswell. I am the co-host with Marie of the Mad Scientist podcast, currently director of research for MUFON, which is really cool, and avid burrito consumer, (laughs) based on the previous story. Oh, (laughs) Tess? Chris was one of the first emails we ever got to join the ARC. Actually, I think he might have been the first. Oh, well, there you go. Fun fact. Oh, wow. That is a fun fact. I was just trying to find it in my Gmail account. I can't find the first email I sent. I bet we have it somewhere. I can find it. Okay. Chris, how did you find the show? I used to listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, I still do listen to a lot of podcasts, but specifically podcasts that I don't agree with. I really like listening to podcasts on stuff that (laughs) riles me up, I guess. When I used to live in Boston, in Medford, Massachusetts, actually, I worked in Boston. I lived in Medford. I used to walk along the Spot Pond. There's a really beautiful trail there. And I used to go walking and I would listen to really <laughs> deep conspiracy stuff and just like I'd get home and then I would like angrily wash the dishes. But that finally led me then to listening to like other podcasts of stuff that I would actually like. And one of the first ones I listened to was you guys. I found you through, I must have searched like paranormal or something. And I loved the logo. And then I listened to the first episode and I really liked it. Actually, Katie, my wife, had been listening for like months before I started listening even. And she was like, oh, this podcast is really good. You should check it out. I think you're really going to like it. And it had been like on my list. I I still have like 50 podcasts subscribed to, 35 of which I've never actually downloaded an episode. I'm just like, (laughs) one of these days I'm going to listen to this. I listened and I just ended up like binging every available episode. And then... As I was in grad school then, getting my PhD in chemical engineering, I felt like I wanted to tell people about science and stuff. And I felt like I wanted to get out there and really talk about this stuff in these subjects that I love. And you, on an episode, mentioned that you were looking for people maybe to help with research. At first, I wasn't going to send an email because I was like, (laughs) they're not going to want me to do this. And then Katie was like, you should do it. You should send the email out, whatever. And so I did. And yeah, it was awesome. It's been great since. I don't want to get too, you know, teary eyed and whatever here. But you guys earlier are like, you guys gave me my first <laughs> shot in this field. And now it's blossoming, you know, so. Oh, really man, like, we're, we're lucky to have you. And now you got your own show. I mean, it's really cool. Oh, well, it's all kismet. Yeah, yeah. it's. Aww. I mean, you've been around a while, but I do remember specifically on the Delphus ring. You're talking about the fungus ring and the you were real adamant about the UFO circumstance. I think it's fitting that you're the director of research at MUFON now because you got that critical eye. It's actually interesting. The first episode I worked on was Lake Baikal. And there have been photos circulating all on the internet this week of Lake Baikal. It freezes clear. The ice freezes completely clear. And so there are these beautiful photos of people there. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) see any giant metallic men down there? You know, like, let's... (laughs) <laughs> should be looking maybe with a, I don't know, a telescope or something, looking down into the ocean floor. Yeah. Well, uh, Chris has an attitude I love because yeah. he is the bridge between the way out woo-woo, which we like to touch on at one point, and the grounded <laughs> scientific rational approach in clear-headed thinking. But he also enjoys all the things that we do as well. And so it's a terrific addition always brings us back down to earth or we could ask him to if we need to <laughs> well this so this brings us to our last panel member mr rob christopherson rob why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to find the show and get in the research core and all that stuff i am 
Rob Christofferson, not related to Chris Christofferson. So please don't ask. <laughs> I, I can't that emphasize that enough. <laughs> I was tortured enough as a child when I didn't even know who the man was. But that's okay. <laughs> I am the host of the Our Strange Skies podcast, which, if it wasn't for Astonishing Legends, probably would not exist, but we'll get to that. I remember uh, it was around the time that you guys were doing the Skinwalker Ranch series, and I had read Hunt for the Skinwalker like years ago, and I was just looking for new podcasts, and I think it was around September, and the Halloween season was coming up, and they had like, oh, hey, here are all these spooky paranormal podcasts that you can check out on the iTunes main page, and your logo's just like, it's in your face like <laughs> that. It's not just the skull, it's the color scheme. It just yeah. pops out at you. Yeah, yeah, we thought long and hard on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, I downloaded it and I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is great. So, um, yeah, I started binging it. And then um, I think Scott followed me like on Twitter, like a couple weeks after that. And then you were going into the Mothman series and you were talking about Men in Black. And I had mentioned, I think, Albert Bender's Men in Black experience to you. And you were like, hey, do you want to join the arc? I think you'd be a great fit. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. You tried to send me an invite and like it wouldn't go through for whatever reason. And I think it was just because I was answering it on my phone and it was through a different email because I have like three different emails just to confuse people, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But finally figured out the right email. You hooked me up. I got in there and, and you know, it's been a ride ever since. And since being in the arc, I have gone on to... People ask me about UFOs all the time. It's crazy. <laughs> like On Twitter, because I changed my... Twitter handle to your UFO guy. Why did I do that? Because people just kept asking me. All these podcasts are like, hey, what's a good UFO case? Well, here, try this one. And then <laughs> occasionally be like, oh, hey, nobody's done a podcast episode about this one. How about you try that one? And then people be like, oh, hey, where can we find information about that? Okay, cool. And then um, ultimately, I'm like, well, why do I keep telling these people? I could just make a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Thus, the Our Strange Guys podcast was born, and I appreciate you guys because you actually took 45 minutes out of your day to actually talk to me about certain things that I should do over the phone, which was great. So, yeah, Our Strange Guys wouldn't exist without Astonishing Legends. Oh, well, it wouldn't exist without you either, so that's... that's <laughs> It's, it's great to hear. And then Rob became so popular. I think he's hit pretty much every paranormal podcast out there as a guest. Now. Yes. You are the most guested guy ever. You're yeah, everywhere. Including another one later this week. Uh, <laughs> hey, don't get overexposed. Okay? Yeah, That's, be careful yeah. there. You got to hey, manage your image. Forrest, you're the one that called me a media darling on podcasts we listen to, so don't even start. That's, oh, that's, yes. Well, at that time, it's like, uh, I think you were doing three in a week or something. Or we'd mention, yeah, I did that one. Uh, oh, yeah, that one uh, recorded. They're going to show it next month. You know, so I think once people realized, you know, how good Rob was and because it's not just having the knowledge, it's being able to talk about it clearly and concisely and with humor. And and Rob's got all that. So he makes a, a great guest on any show, but specifically in this area. It's like why we had him on. You can mention anything, and Rob's like, yeah, I read a book on that. Yeah, you're very well read, which I'm envious of your library, and although stop sending me the ones that freak you out so bad you don't <laughs> like want to look at them anymore. What happens is I get those, all of Rob's exorcist books uh, Yeah, end Rob's up like, with here, me. you guys want yeah. these? And the next thing you know, there's a package. It's like by the time you say yes, it's at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta get them out of the house, man. Yeah. You gotta get them out. <laughs> Hey, 
Hey guys, Richard Haddam here. I just wanted to send out some good wishes to Scott and Phil, and I think one of you is named Burgess. But in any case, the three of you are doing an amazing job on your Astounding Tales podcast, and uh, you're making some strange people very happy every week. And that's good, so please keep up the good work. And, uh, what? Hang on. T- tell him I'll call him back. Hang, hang on, I got injured cold on the other line. Would you tell Cole to hold? My God, this guy never leaves me alone. And when he gets on the line, he just breathes. Well, that brings us to Arcapalooza, which it's so great to have all you guys on here. I actually can't believe we haven't done this before. You know, we weren't really sure what kind of structure we wanted to have for this. So we decided that we were going to see if people in the Ark had stories of their own to tell. We were going to share those, which is the plan here. And we also wanted to look at answering some questions from listeners that Tess compiled from uh, Facebook and other places, I believe. So we are going to just kind of go back and forth a little bit and talk about some of these stories. Some of them are pretty short, and then others are longer and a little more substantial. So we're going to try to put those in order and work our way through. This all fits under, I don't know if it's a phenomenon or just a, a strange tick or just happenstance, but when Scott and I first started talking about the show, we, we've mentioned this on various episodes as well, and when we were you know guests on other shows and they asked us, well, what interests you? What makes you think that this kind of genre has any legs? And it's like, you know what? Just start asking people if they have had anything strange happen to them. And one out of three is probably going to have some strange story, or at least they're going to know somebody that something weird has happened to if they're willing to tell you. And it just happened to me last night. I was at a uh, birthday dinner and uh, somebody I just met, you know, told him what I did and said, and I just asked him, I was like, has anything weird happened to you? Like, oh yeah, I grew up in a haunted house. <laughs> and uh, Naturally. Yeah. And mm. I've seen strange things, a huge variety of like little weird things that each one of them is not a great horror movie or a great uh, spooky paranormal movie. But when you add them up over a lifetime, something's going on. So I just knew that people in our circle here in the Ark, some of them would have some really great stories of strange things that happened to them. And, and of course, ironically, I don't. So <laughs> the only person here has nothing. I think we should tell your story first. Might as well, since it's, you Well, it's know. the dud. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the, the dud. <laughs> Let's just get it out of the way. It is the, uh, you don't open with a showstopper, Hank. So, yeah. And then you don't, um, this is not a cliffhanger, cliffhanger story. And this is not a blockbuster, yeah, spectacular one. But it's really the only thing, because I didn't even think about it, because Scott was saying, like, you should tell some story. (laughs) Yeah. And I really couldn't think of anything except the weirdest thing that's probably happened recently is just, I think, two episodes of... It falls under sleep paralysis, and it would be a hypnopompic experience. You know, I had learned as a hypnagogic experience is kind of cover both. That's having experience falling asleep as well as waking up. But hypnopompic, more specifically, is generally referred to as incidents when you're waking up. And that would be for me. And I, I don't know if this was because I was taking melatonin <laughs> something, which I still do. I was kind of trying to regularly uh, take that to regulate my sleep patterns here. I just remember one time waking up, and it's that weird dream within the dream where you're, you're waking up and you're essentially dreaming about everything that you're actually doing, which is laying in bed in your own bedroom at that hour. And uh, so that's especially freaky because you're kind of waking up and you think you are waking up normally. And I just 
remember as I'm waking up, there's a dog in the bed, which I'm petting, which is odd because I don't own a dog. I don't have a dog at this point. Our family has had dogs all throughout growing up and certainly other family members. And it was nothing specific. It wasn't like a dog we'd had before. It was just like, oh, look at this. Here's a dog. And I'm petting the dog. It's friendly. And I'm kind of waking up. And then I start to actually wake up and like immediately. And the strangest thing is that now my eyes instantly pop open And I realized there's no dog there. But the strangest thing is that for about a second or two, it still feels like I'm petting the dog. And it's kind of hard to describe or relay this, but the strange thing about it was that it felt physically exactly as if you were petting a dog that wasn't there. And the only way I can describe it is like, if you have a dog, go pet a dog while you're awake. And how that feels is exactly how it felt to me. There was like contact and friction. It's the strangest thing. I mean, it wasn't like you're kind of dreaming it and it's just the image and the memory of petting a dog. I was actually physically feeling a dog there, but my arms are not moving. They're still under the covers and there's no dog there. And now I am fully awake. Yeah. It only happened for about a second or two. You know, when we were, uh, Scott and I have a background in video editing, you know what a split edit is, right? Yeah, sure. When you kind of lay in either audio before the actual cut happens, so you'll hear audio from the cut coming in, and then you'll see the picture where the audio is attached to that picture. Yeah. Or you could do it reverse where you see a picture, you know, before the actual audio comes in from the second cut. So that's kind of how I described it between wake and sleep, is that it's out of sync for a few seconds between a dream that you're dreaming having in bed and actually being awake, and it was the freakiest thing. I believe people that told us stories before uh, have mentioned uh, these hypnagogic or hypnopompic experiences, and then there's a supernatural element to it, which they have trouble explaining, and you can't really get it until you experience it yourself, because it is such a deep-down, grab-you-by-the-soul kind of feeling that you know it's something different than just beyond sleep paralysis, or RISP, recurrent isolated sleep paralysis, it's something different. And I believe there's stuff in the middle where it's maybe a blend of both. But what I can say from my experience is that definitely for me, it didn't feel anything paranormal or or supernatural. It's just a weird physiological kind of happening. And then maybe a few weeks later, it happened again. And again, I don't know if that was the brand of melatonin I was taking or what happened, but it, it, I, it just seemed like that. <laughs> Did kind you of look on my, the label? May yeah, cause, may cause you to halluc- pet dog? <laughs> Hallucinations and invisible dogs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one's a little tad scarier and more of the feeling of somebody standing over your bed. But again, the same thing happened where I'm waking up and you're basically dreaming in that dream state that you are in your bed. It's still dark. Maybe the sun's coming up outside. It's time to get up as you usually do, but I'm just dreaming that I'm in bed. And then I get this sense that there is an invisible presence standing over my bed and kind of leaning in, getting closer and closer. And of course, there's that involuntary panic. I'm dreaming, or as it feels to me, I'm reaching up, trying to push this thing away with my hands, kind of flailing at it, And whatever it is, grabs both my wrists. Now it's total paralysis. I can't move my arms. This thing's kind of looming in. And then, you, of course, you involuntarily start to panic. And then that moment, I actually wake up. And again, the same exact thing happens for a second or two. I look up. There's nothing there, of course. And the weird thing is that it 
my arms aren't up in the air either. Yeah. They're still tucked under the covers and I'm not moving at all, but it feels exactly as if my arms were up in the air and something was holding them. You were completely restrained. Yeah. For just a, a second or two, just that feeling of it couldn't be more real. And, and then I, later you realized it was our logo because it was a symbol <laughs> of our podcast and how you have, <laughs> you're completely oppressed by working on a stunt <laughs> It was that, yeah, the feeling of like, oh, we got to get up and there's a deadline. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, no, it was just the strangest thing because, you know, I always said this before, is like maybe none of us knows when we're dreaming unless you're having, you know, an episode of... Um, lucid. Lucid. Yes, I'm sorry, lucid dreaming. I'm oh, uh, sorry, I was just Yeah, staring. no, he, I know, he's, just, he's <laughs> doing it now. I'm probably dreaming this. You don't really know when you're dreaming, but you do hopefully know when you're awake. And if you don't, well, then you can throw all of your own reality out the window because then what's real so I know, I'm pretty sure I'm sitting here with Scott and all of you chatting right now. It feels very real. All I can say is when I woke up and my arms were kind of pinned, that felt as real as any real waking experience I've ever had for a second or two, and it's freaky. Now, what I'll say, though, unlike people that have a shadow person experience, there was no spiritual or supernatural feeling about it at all. Not that deep down fear. It's just that initial panic that just comes before, even when there's no feeling of somebody standing over your bed, you just can't move and you don't know why and you're waking up and you it doesn't make any sense. And then you try and like move your pinky or move a finger, then work on moving your hand, then your arm. Wiggle and, and your you, big toe. Yeah. And, and then you can kind of get yourself out of it. And that's pretty common, but this was way beyond that. So again, it makes you question sensory input. Is this real? This was relatively recent, both of these? Yeah, probably uh, within four or five months ago. Right. And that, and then the animal growl I heard out in the desert. Right, <laughs> And then yeah. as you're doing the show, you're kind of scouring back like, man, I got nothing good to tell. So uh, again, the weird uh, desert growl, which I got to say was witnessed by somebody standing next to me, Marty from the show, who was on the Queen Mary episode. So I know that's validated. At least we both heard it and uh, we're both freaked out. Yeah. And that's it. So that's my two uneventful kind of stories. No, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it's all, oh, thanks. Anybody right. here have any questions about Forrest's story? Two questions concerning the dog. Mm-hmm. Could you get a sense of the breed and do you think it was a good dog? <laughs> uh, yes, that's a good question because there's two things about the two stories that uh, I was going to mention and just now forgot. One, no, the dog was kind of nondescript. I mean, our grandparents had a, a husky, kind of the Siberian husky, reddish hair, blue eyes, very friendly, but it wasn't that dog. It was kind of just a representational dog, you know, medium-sized dog, border collie, husky-ish, but just a very generic dog. So... I would have been more or less surprised if it was a dog our family actually had at some point. And then you're dreaming about your dog, your family dog. That's not such a big deal. What was weird is, of course, how did this dog get into my bedroom? Because I don't own a dog. And it's just, it's just, you know, comfortably lying in the bed and wagging its tail and I'm rubbing its head. And it's like, it was just a, a generic thing. So that was odd. The second thing that was um, kind of a, a point on that story about some entity grabbing my arms is that it didn't feel evil. So I always ask people this, and of course, people mock it. It's like, I'll ask them how they felt about the experience. Uh, was it oppressive, evil, uh, just a really bad feeling? Was it neutral? Was it a good feeling? Like, sometimes people have that. It could be a supernatural kind of thing with a, with a past relative that's really heartwarming and uh, they end up enjoying. When I felt my arms grabbed, and after the initial panic, the feeling I got during the whole transition was that it was more like something trying to keep me from flailing. Like... If you were a little kid and uh, you're having a nightmare and you're thrashing around and it's your parent like just trying to hold you, like, it's okay, it's all right. 
that's the weird feeling I got. It's weird, but it wasn't horribly oppressive. It wasn't the hat man trying to suck the soul out of me. This is kind of a funnier version of this same story, I guess. Not the same story, but a similar story. I had two kind of near-do-well friends in high school that I hung around with. I hung out with, like, the weird bad kids in my high school, I guess. Like, not bad kids, like... Cox, is this the, the kids you threw baloney on cars with? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a different mm-hmm. set of bad oh kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> Even more bad kids. Set, a different set <laughs> of ruffians that I associated myself oh, with dear. back in the day. Hoodlums. <laughs> This one kid who just spawned so many of the crazy stories from my teenage years, I guess, he and this other guy used to buy these like herbal supplements that were supposed to let you lucid dream. One time he was lucid dreaming and he lived an entire life, he said, from World War II where he was a fighter pilot and he had a family and a kid and whatever. And he was like, you know, man, I was in love. <laughs> and like, oh, like, oh. like this stupid guy. Jeez. So I don't know, man. Maybe you are taking the same kind of medicine. <laughs> no, this was not uh, acid from Kamchatka. It was a store brand, you know, melatonin <laughs> with a valerian root. All these health supplements, of course, come with very vague claims, but uh, apparently valerian root slows down your nervous system. That's what allows you to relax. You know, otherwise you sit there and, and um, yeah, overthink in bed. You're just mulling over the day's events and you can't get to sleep. I've taken it all the time. It wasn't just then and uh, and it hasn't happened since then. I think it was just two strange incidents where your uh, biochemistry and your, your brainwave patterns are just a little out of sync. Thank goodness that doesn't happen when I'm waking because then you really start to question it. But on the uh, supernatural side, I guess there would be people who might say that whatever that guy took was tapping into like a past life thing because we've had a few people tell us about just he had a very, and still does, very intense feeling of having lived a past life as a fighter pilot in World War II. And he remembers everything about it. He has this fascination with flying. He's studying Um, aviation. Yeah, he's now studying aviation. He didn't grow up in an aviation family. It's just a weird hobby, but he would do things like, yeah, I'll punch up old training films from the Army Air Force. And everything is familiar to him. He knows where all the dials are. It's just a very strange experience, but that's happening without the aid of Russian herbs. So (laughs) (laughs) that's just naturally kind of occurring, but... I'm always fascinated by dream stuff because having such vivid dreams and being able to remember pretty much every dream I have, I think ultimately it's a skill though that people could learn. If I didn't consider my dreams when I woke up and think about them more and even put probably unnecessary importance on them, like, you know, well, what does this mean for what I'm thinking? Whatever. I probably wouldn't remember them. This hasn't been a lifelong thing that continued for me, but I've never had a paralysis experience. I, it seems yeah, too scary. Yeah, I haven't either. I've told that story. I've woke up, thought I saw a train on the street down below. Oh, that was weird. We were, we're staying in the haunted, a haunted Monte hotel. Vista hotel. Yeah, in, in fact, uh, yeah. I still think about that. People always say, did anything it, it, haunted happen to you in there? Because it was one of the most haunted hotels in Flagstaff, I guess. And I'm always like, no, there were no ghosts or anything. But then on the other hand, I had the weirdest waking dream experience. One of the weirdest <laughs> I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Well, that's, that that's exploding head syndrome. Yeah. Well, right? I had no, that happened there too, but that yeah. was different. That happened either the same night or a different night. A lot of people have written us about that, where you hear a loud noise that seems so real. You would swear that you're not asleep yet. Right. You're laying in bed and you're about to go to sleep, and then you just hear this really loud crash, and it's a real specific. It's not a vague, like, I thought I heard, like, a shampoo bottle falling right. into the yeah. bathtub. No, I, I hadn't fallen asleep yet. And he's like, did you hear that? And I'm like, no. I'm not asleep. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, something fell over in the bathroom. Yeah, because Forrest's bed was like right by the bathroom. I had the pull-out couch, yeah. And of course, I was going to try and rig the room with some trick line or fishing line. 
<laughs> didn't get that together and try and record it. But yeah, that was a strange thing. The other one was that he thought there was a locomotive right outside the window. So it got really Inception-like. Yeah, know, that was just, super Inception-y. Yeah. But it was an old-timey one with the big cow catcher, and it was all the bright colors. It's a specific engine. I actually found it online before. Sounds like we should be doing an investigation in this hotel. Well, it's got a lot of haunted rooms. The one we stayed in supposedly, uh, it was horrible, but I guess threw a prostitute out the window. Uh, two, one or yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. There's one room, though, where there's a uh, an old lady in the rocking chair. I yeah, believe. we couldn't get that room. That was booked. We yeah. tried to get that. That's Everyone the most wants haunted that one. one. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's cool. Yeah, you got to book that weeks in advance. Yeah. <laughs> it was. To get the old lady haunting room? Yeah, man. You got to know somebody. Well, that's all the uh, celebrities, too, like John Wayne. They've all come whenever they film a Western. They've stayed in that uh, hotel. Yeah. So it's got a long list. Clark Gable, I believe. So there's a long list of mm. celebrities. And that's the one they've chosen as well. But Chris, there's places like the Monroe Institute that do study lucid dreaming and uh, out of body experiences. So it's all fringe science and pseudoscience in some aspect. But there are people who actually have an organized approach to trying to figure out how that all works. My dad had really bad sleep apnea from, or like a throat obstruction. Yeah. When he fell asleep, if he slept the wrong way, he just wouldn't get enough oxygen to his brain and then would kind of have very, very vivid hallucinations. Wow. So for a long time, there were nights where I would get up and he would be just like walking around the house. Like, do you see that thing? Yeah. It's like, go to bed. <laughs> go back to bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? After the fifth time, you're just like, oh my God, shut up about the thing in the hallway. Wow. Like, whatever. You know, we know it's your brain dying. Get back in bed. Oh man. <laughs> Such a loving son. So actually that's why when I've gone in for that kind of same stuff, sleep problems and all that kind of stuff. It's always like, well, could be the beginnings of uh, sleep apnea or something else, hmm. right? Yeah. And I think it's one of those regions where it's like dreams having particular meaning or anything like that is kind of, that idea is kind of out of fashion psychologically, let's say. It's considered to be similar to intrusive thoughts. It's just like your brain's going to do whatever it's going to do. Right. But that study of dreams, I mean, I think it's becoming more and more a serious science, honestly. I don't know. There's all kinds of weird applications for it. That's very like matrixy, scary stuff. Oh yeah, stuff. yeah. No, they're. I think they're trying to look into it for symptoms of PTSD and sure. how you remember things. Because as you remember them, your body reacts pretty much the same as if when you're experiencing it live or have in the past. Your matrix comment does remind me of one of my favorite Radiolab episodes uh, called "Wake Up and Dream." where a guy is having the same recurring nightmare every time of some stranger outside the door trying to bust in. He's got a gun. You know, after 20 years of this, he starts looking to like, what can I do about this? Because nobody has any explanations for it. But there is a scientist named Stephen LaBerge who has been studying it and has some uh, assistants who can actually give you ideas on, on what to do about this. And basically he confronts the guy in his dream and it works through some <clears throat> techniques of lucid dreaming. So yeah, there's a lot of applications for it. It's being studied more and more and I think maybe even taken seriously a little bit more by the sleep analysis uh, community. So All right, so yeah. that wraps up uh, <laughs> That's the <forest>. show. <laughs> Uh, thank you, folks, for, for tuning in. And uh, we're not going to be able to get to the really scary ones here. Hello, this is the Count of St. Germain, otherwise known as Kevin Pollock, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Keep listening. 
Well, I'm going to move on here to one of the stories from another ARC member, Michael, who's a relatively recent member of the Astonishing Research Corps. But when we had the call for entries, this is the one that he sent in. It was a dark and stormy night. Just kidding. My mom and I used to visit Southern California once a year for two to three weeks at a time to visit some friends. One of my mom's friends was an avid gun collector and enjoyed camping. So we decided to go camping in the Ojai Mountains for a couple of days and we could go shooting as well. After a day of shooting downrange and fun, we started to head back to camp and somehow my mom and I got left behind in the dust of the car. As soon as I saw the dust settle, I saw a jackrabbit. But it wasn't an ordinary jackrabbit. It had antlers. It was a jackalope. I looked at it. I looked at my mom, who was wide-eyed, and it looked back at us and just hopped off. Of course, when we got back to camp, they all laughed at us, and we were being serious. They were world travelers. Of course, they would understand some weird stuff. Nope. Neither one of us were believed, and they made fun of us for the rest of the trip. I would bring it up occasionally with company later on in my years, and they would look at my mom like I needed help. Apparently, my mom didn't want to be admitted. In reality, who could blame her? So she started denying she ever saw it, and I was just really imaginative as a child. I am an analyst. I believe in facts and data. And I saw a jackalope. Please believe me. All right, so that's the jackalope story. Marie, you want to start this conversation? or? Oh, man. First of all, I love the fact that he's like a cry for help at the end <laughs> through the, his rational self, a man, you know, the rational man being like, please believe me, I saw the jackalope. <laughs> so it kind of brings back memories of my childhood in that we would go on road trips with my family and we would go to a place called Wall Drugs yeah. in yeah. the Dakotas and we would go and we'd see the Badlands and we'd see sort of all of the natural beauty of whatever it was that we were going to, right? You know, and we would go to this ginormous just curio shop and they were known for the jackalope and they would like have these little cute stuffed bunnies with jackalope ears, with like the the antlers, and I was like, oh, I want you. Oh, is that real? That that seems so real. And, you know, my dad was like, well, it could be. You know, he would give into the flights of fancy, and my mother would be like, no, <laughs> that's just taxidermy, honey. Those things aren't real. And I'm like, oh, so I'm sort of uh, heartened to hear that he saw the jackalope. I'll believe him. Yeah, I'm in for it. Well, here's the interesting thing. I did a little, just tiny baby research on this. I mean, I knew mm-hmm. this, the story that I had heard was that the idea of the jackalope was popularized by a taxidermist who uh, yeah, blended yeah. the animals and sold it, apparently sold it to a hotel, local hotel in Douglas, Wyoming. Mm. And uh, then uh, it was so popular that they really just went with it and made more and more and more of them, sold them. So you And I've seen them myself uh, yeah. on road trips yeah. in several hotels in the Southwest and the West in general. According to Wikipedia, anyway, the Wyoming legislature has considered bills to make the jackalope the state's official mythological creature. <laughs> Does every state have an official mythological creature? I don't know. <laughs> if not, un- unofficially, yeah. And if not, man, come on. That's something that I think everybody can come together on. That would be good. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you just inherit it. Like uh, New Jersey is, it's got to be the Jersey Devil, you know. <laughs> Jersey it, Devil, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, screw state flowers. We need state cryptids. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's something interesting that I did not know. Researchers have suggested some of the tales of the horned hares are inspired by sightings of rabbits infected with the Shope papilloma virus. 
which causes horn mm-hmm. and antler-like tumors to grow in various places on a rabbit's head and body, which is uh, right up there with the show we just finished. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's not such a stretch. I mean, there's some cryptid stories that we hear about even the chupacabra. Again, this thing mm-hmm. isn't growing butterfly wings and flying around terrorizing people, you know, flying 70 miles an hour. Oh, my God, that'd be so cute, though. (laughs) Well, we'll see if we can make that happen for you. It's not such a stretch as what I'm saying is to see something that either has a bone deformity. Certainly, we've seen with our last series on giants, Mm -hmm. humans with strange keratin-type growths out of their head, which look like horns. And you wouldn't Mm -hmm. normally think of humans having horns. So, to me, these kind of the minor cryptids are not that much of a stretch to believe. Now, when it's something like the Jersey Devil, where it's just, you know, a chimera mishmash of all these weird things, like, okay, now that's a little harder to process because it just, you know, horse hooves on stork legs with a fat horse head and bat wings. Well, Rob did know. send us a picture of something that looked a little bit like that. He did. Oh, God, <laughs> that thing. This was something you actually saw, Rob? Um, yeah. So <laughs> this is back in 2012, and I've told this story to Chris and Marie before, yeah. but I was walking to work. It was in, I want to say it was in like August, so it was like a really warm morning. I take the same route to work every day, and like when you turn down this one street, you can see pretty much all the way down the street what's ahead. So like you can see deer all the time, and they're usually out at that time of year just running around and stuff. And I could see some kind of animal like all the way down. I just, you know, walking down the street, you don't think that you're going to see anything really weird or crazy. And I get to this one person's yard, and they have a little hill in front of their yard. And at the base of this hill is this creature that's standing there it's hard to describe the best way i could describe it is that it was three feet tall kind of resembled it had reptilian features it had really scaly skin had a really long tail that came up and it had its back to me yeah and when i got to about 25 feet all of a sudden it turned around it looked at me i didn't catch its face for maybe more than like a couple seconds but The one thing that I just remember is that its face was really flat. And then it just turned around, booked it up this person's front yard, up that hill, still on two legs. Yeah. Wait, so is it hopping or is it running by pedal? No, no, no. It is straight up running. And the thing was, is like, I shared this story on another podcast last week. And I'm like, this thing is so weird because it makes no sense. Because I live in an area that is known to be... We compete with Minnesota for coldest days yeah. of the year. Yeah. Like it gets down to negative 40, negative 50 at the worst. So it makes no sense for this thing to even be up there because it looks, like I said, reptilian. It looks like cold blooded type of animal. But yeah, I shared this on another podcast last week and I didn't think anybody was going to come back with anything. Then somebody shares a story of these people seeing this thing jump up on the road. And it looks eerily like what I saw, and somebody decided to draw a sketch of it, and now I've had nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Well, Rob, is that the sketch I believe you drew? Looks kind of like a reptilian kangaroo type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's something that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it other than that. You know, it's like... When you say a flat face, you're saying like humanoid, essentially? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember the features fully to this day, but I just remember it was very flat. Yeah. 
All right. Here's something I, you were going to talk about. You did have your UFO story, which I thought was pretty interesting. It's a pretty short story. I think we're, mm. we're going to go ahead and share that now, if that's cool with everybody. People often ask me, how did I get into the study of UFOs? What compelled me? And I always say that there are two things. The first, uh, and it always comes back to the show Unsolved Mysteries. There were two stories. The first was about the Allagash abductions. And for those that don't know, basically four guys were abducted by a, a UFO while they were out on a camping trip. And it was something that really stuck with me. The second thing was the Lonnie Zamora sighting. And the basics on that, a cop was pursuing a car out of town on a high-speed chase, and all of a sudden his attention is drawn away by a really loud roaring sound. He thinks it's the uh, mayor's dynamite shack about to blow up, so he goes and drives up to it, and what he notices is that he thinks there's an overturned car, but what it turns out to be is a UFO that has landed. It had landing pods down, and he could see people outside the craft walking around. He described them as either tall children or small adults. And uh, it was an oval-shaped craft, and for some reason that has always stuck with me. So fast forward to three years ago, I was at work, and it was a really nice, warm June day. The sky was bright blue. And a friend had uh, come down to get me to go out on a break. So we're outside for maybe two or three minutes. And for whatever reason, I just had the urge to look up. I look up and I see an egg-shaped object in the sky. It's moving very slowly. If I had to estimate the size, it looked to be slightly smaller than a smallish car. It was white in color, almost an off-white color. It had no windows. It didn't appear to be very high up, but then again, that was kind of hard to tell. But it was silent. You couldn't hear a thing. There was no visible means of propulsion. I don't know how it was keeping itself in the air. And it was moving parallel to where my friend and I were standing. We both saw it. We both were kind of interested in it, which is strange because we almost were passive. We saw it. We didn't take a picture of it. We didn't want to take a picture of it. And when it made its way to where we were standing, it stopped in the middle of the air, did a 90 degree turn, and moved slowly away from us. The sighting lasted for maybe two minutes, but it's something that has stuck with me and has affected me because I find it interesting that the one craft that I have seen is similar to what Lonnie Zamora saw. The one case that has really stuck with me my entire life is something that I saw. So that, uh, that was that. So, Rob, are you sure that wasn't Mork for Mork and Mindy in a giant <laughs> flying egg? 
I'm 100% confident that it wasn't. <laughs> okay, that's the first thing. As a kid, I loved that show. And of course, that was the gag on the show is that his UFO was a giant egg. But you're saying right. it was off-white, like an A-crew, whitish color, and definitely kind of egg-shaped. Literally, if you took an egg and you blew it up to size, yeah, okay, and you threw it in the air and you got it to stick in the air and move around on its own, that's what it looked like. Now, is that a common UFO shape or is it just one on a list? It is one on a list. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a really interesting article by Micah Hanks for Mysterious Universe uh. about egg-shaped objects. Like, I don't think they're 100% common, but like, if you go to report a sighting to MUFON, it is one option that you can choose uh, right. in terms of shape of an object. Is that true, Chris? <laughs> It's on the yeah, drop-down menu. It is actually in the drop-down menu. You gotta scroll down. Like, you gotta be kidding me. There's a drop-down yeah. menu of shapes? Yeah, of course, of course there, there is. is. Drop, yeah. When you report a sighting, because we try to do things as, by having like a systematic way to actually report things, we hope to like, obviously you, you hope to limit people from making things up. But at the same time, anytime you do a survey, if you ask a question, you give away information about what you want. Right. 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 So it's like, we have an other thing, and actually that list of shapes is long. Long, but distinguished. Like, yeah, right, yeah. So there's like, there is a lot of them there. Little Top Gun reference. I would say that probably egg, ovoid, all of that kind of stuff are probably the most common types mm. of things that we see. That's a southern <laughs> joke. Oh, really? Whoa, ovoid. Yeah. Scott and the ovoids. Yeah. But um, that was my high school band, <laughs> ovoid. Nice. Yeah, so actually like the most common one, so egg, I'm actually looking at statistics right now. Egg is uh, about 300 out of a total of 20,000 cases. So egg is not the most common by oh, far. Yeah. And not all of those cases actually have a craft necessarily. So we're probably talking, uh-huh. let's say like out of a total of like 10,000, egg is 300. So a small amount, right? Right. Um, the most common by far are spheres and circles and disks and then uh, triangles. Triangle would be the... Probably the second most common then after that. So Rob, I had a question. In your story, one phrase that really stuck out to me was that you said you didn't want to take a picture of it. Was it cognizant or was it, Mm -hmm. you know, just happening? Because you said you looked up at the sky and that I don't assume you were purposely looking up at the sky. You just felt like you had to. So was this, did you feel like you had to or were you cognizantly saying, I'm not going to take a picture of it? It was honestly something that I felt, something that, like, um, I just felt really calm. It was doing what it was doing. I could obviously see it, but it was like I was almost uninterested enough to the point where I didn't want to take a picture. I don't know how to explain that. It's a really odd feeling. Almost like it was normalized, like, yep, there, it is doing its thing. Yeah, kind of. Almost to the point where you're not even thinking about it. Yeah, that actually leads into a follow-up question that I had, Rob. Often people will describe a UFO encounter where they feel like the craft was affecting them physically somehow, or mentally, or even psychically. There was some interaction. So when you mentioned that, it felt like, was this a moment of like, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for? You know, it's like kind of a, (laughs) you don't need to look up here. We're fine. This is no big deal. You don't need to take a picture of this. Do you feel like you were maybe that kind of thought or that feeling was imparted to you somehow by this thing. Maybe. Um, it's it, it's tough to really say because, like, the sky was so clear. Like, there was nothing in the sky at all before seeing this. Like, 
I don't even know why I looked up. It's not hmm. like I just commonly just look up randomly while I'm standing. I mean, I do now just because like, <laughs> hey, I don't know if I could see a UFO. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but before then, I never looked up. My head would be buried in my phone sure. or, you know, I'd be looking at whoever I'm talking to. But it's just like I looked up. There it was. And then it's just coming towards us, parallel to us. And I don't want to do anything. Yeah. But I can't stop looking at it for whatever reason. One thing that's become pretty interesting for me, at least, and it's something I want to look into more, I guess, is the idea that actually when someone has a sighting, a lot more people actually see it, but just don't think anything of it or even right. don't recognize it. Right? right. So I had a woman tell me just recently that she had her first sighting. She was driving on a highway and she saw something and it kind of like passed in front of her car. And when it passed, not really in front of her car, but kind of like to the side, I guess, or whatever. But when it passed, like at first she was just like, oh, that's weird. And she kept looking back at it and whatever, but she didn't think to pull out her car or her phone or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've even had cases again where someone says, you know, he's been seeing the same thing over and over again, like consistently. Mm -hmm. And there were people like on his street that were out in their cars when he was, he was like coming home from work and there was something hovering. He claimed near a water tower near his house and no one else said they saw it. Like everyone else was looking, but everyone else just kind of like they looked and then they kind of just went back to what they were doing. Yeah. Is it that some of us can't see it? Do we notice like something weird's going on over there, but then we look and we don't see anything. Can it be, kind of a Descartes demon situation where it's like, they can change everything you see. And then, you know, we have no evidence, but it's super interesting. So actually, Rob, the fact that you have a, someone who cited it with you is actually really interesting. And they described it the same way as you. Yeah, exactly the mm. same way. Marie? Yeah, I think it's interesting because again, with egg shape, and I don't have the stats open in front of me like uh, Chris has, but um, the idea that an egg shape is not anything an alien would necessarily know about, right? I mean, eggs come from certain... <laughs> animals. They're not mm -hmm. naturally something that are going to be reproduced in nature like a geometric pattern. So when you have something that's being replicated or you're seeing something that is indicative of humans or I want to say oviparous or whatever it is that lays an egg, then that's like very specific to something we would know about, right? Because I mean, how often do you see something that's an egg shape outside of an egg, really. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's right. sort of this weird, very human-based yeah. um, filter to it. Yeah, it's, it's like if it came down and it was the McDonald's arches and you were like, what Kinda, the hell? Right? <laughs> right? Or it's a fork or it's something that is very fitting within what our signifiers are. I was going to say, though, that it is, you do see it in nature, at least not as an egg shape, but mm -hmm. as droplets, as... Teardrops, yeah. Teardrops as a liquid or a fluid it doesn't have to be water, a fluid, any fluid under the force of gravity, or even a, I would anticipate plasma, maybe a dense plasma mm -hmm. in a non-dense plasma field or we something. test like, that out. Uh-oh, no fire. Right, if we can figure out a way to get like a freestanding plasma outside of a vacuum, we're not going to be using it for UFO testing. How cool testing. would we're that be? be? <laughs> we'll be we'll be making floating cars and stuff. Please, no bill prize. We'll be doing our own lightsabers at that point. Rob, I want to ask you a question. In terms of an egg, did it seem like it was uh, laying down or standing up? 
Um, yeah. Uh, the long way. It would be <laughs> laying down. Long ways yeah. was horizontal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then yeah. how close did it get to you? Um, Cause you like, said it was tracking you guys while you were walking. Like, did you feel like it had we a direct even, relationship no, we with were, you? Or? We were standing still because like okay. where you go to take a break at work, you technically have to step foot off the property because it's technically kind of like a hospital. So right. you can't smoke on hospital grounds. So we were essentially on this corner and like, it was moving parallel to where we were, and it was about where we were standing, at least in our perspective. It just stopped, and then it just slowly turned 90 degrees and then headed off in a different direction. Same speed? Yep. How far away from it you do you think it was? It's tough to really get an estimate because all I really had— There's like, no frame of there, reference. Not really. I mean, like, there was a house right there, and even still, I can't really get a good frame of reference about how high— it was, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem like a normal aircraft really high up in the sky or anything like that. It definitely seemed lo- a lot lower than that. Hmm. What angle from your eyesight level was it, if you had to give it a number? Oh, yeah, I'm not even sure. I can't even remember exactly. So, like, straight up this way would be 90, and this right. would be zero. So, right. like, I would we're say like 45, 30, or 75, right? Like, probably about like maybe 65 to 75. If you were to hold out your arm, and then give it a size. So this is actually a question we ask a lot. Is you got your arm out and you're holding a dime. Would it be the size of a dime? The size of a nickel? Would it be the size of an eggplant, an avocado, an egg? <laughs> it would be a larger size object. I guarantee that. Like a, a big orange, a grapefruit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably about that. Okay, so then 75 degrees, grapefruit size. Like we're saying, I mean. That's a big object. That's a big. That's egg. a big object. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a, and that's basically what I was trying to get at. That's a big object, then, right? That's probably at least the size of a normal aircraft, mm-hmm. right? Depending on how close or far away it was from you. I promise this will be my last question. <laughs> Do you remember a halo around it in terms of like a glow, a like a heat coming off a hot street, anything like a disturbance even in the air itself as you saw it flying? Do you remember seeing anything like that? Nope. So just like, like a like a weird egg moving. Okay. Mm-hmm. But nothing around the edges. Nope. What about uh, the possibility of it being a blimp? I've thought about that yeah. for sure. I'm not sure about blimp technology at this stage, but like I would figure when I see it rotate, I would see something on the back end or, or some Fins, kind of- Stabilizers. Like, right. There was nothing. Right. And no sound, as you said. No sound <laughs> at all. So it was like this. <laughs> yeah, Where did you get that? In the this is a Tess beauty is, blender. Oh, Tess is yeah, it's, it's very you know, it's it's similar. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not as pointy on the one end. Right. Yeah, and right. not covered in foundation. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. You got. yeah. It was that off white color. It wasn't. It didn't look straight white, and then maybe it was just light I was seeing it at, but it looked mm-hmm. like an off-white color. And Rob, I have a follow-up question, uh, something that you mentioned about why it was kind of significant to you and still is in your life, is that you felt there was some kind of connection to the Zamora incident, and that somehow in your mind that there is, um, I guess either by detail or, or just feel or or just a significant sighting in your life, there is some kind of connection to uh, the Lonnie Zamora story. And do you feel you were fated somehow to see this or that there is some kind of connection that uh, you were meant to see this? What he saw was metallic, right? Was what you saw, would you describe it as metallic or not necessarily? The way that he has described it, and I've heard him describe it a few different times, is that it was a white aluminum 
is the way yeah. that he described it. Okay. I couldn't tell you if it was aluminum or anything. Like, it didn't seem like it, but, like... Was there shine? No, there wasn't. That was the thing. It was really dull. I don't know if, like, really faded or anything like that, but it was just... It was so weird that this one case that really has pushed me to look into this stuff contains an object that I'm standing looking at three years ago, almost. I can't remember who we had on the show that suggested, and we've brought this up a, a couple of other times, but just this idea that you're creating your own reality in a way. Right. Rich had him, maybe? No, it wasn't uh, Rich. It UFOs? was one of our guests. Yeah. I can't remember oh, who it could it be was. Linda Godfrey and talking about the strange creatures that, you know, when they go to like look at uh, any kind of game cam footage of something that somebody sees, they usually just see a white mist. Yeah. And right. like that's the base stuff that the clay that these images and experiences are molded out of. Yeah. And there's this other sort of suggestion that it's not that anything is any more or less real as a result of it, but that somehow you're controlling. It's kind of like it's all there all the time, but you're controlling what part of it you're seeing. I'm not yeah. describing it well, but it, it is interesting that Zamora's case, which is to me is a huge deal too. I, have you done that on your show yet? You haven't done that right? i will at a certain point yeah once i get past the base stuff that i'm gonna do yeah it'll definitely be one i cover yeah, yeah. i mean I, I like that one because there's some trace evidence left i think the aerial on his car was bent at, right right and there was some other effects to his patrol car maybe i don't remember yeah. fully if there was a lot of stuff done to his car but i mean there were bushes that were singeing there was supposedly a spot in the ground and there was the landing marks yeah that yeah. was left it's a fascinating case. I think it's a good story. I can see why you would certainly start a podcast after seeing something like that. Uh, well, it's big enough. That's, you know, that's the thing. You said you and your friend chatted a lot about UFOs and strange aerial phenomenon. And then you actually oh, see yeah. some and it's like, eh. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah there's just that. Like, eh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, no big deal. Well, it's that same thing that we talk about. You wake up in the middle of the night, there's a shadow person. And you're like, hide under the covers or whatever. It goes away and you just go back to sleep. Right. That's like, what? That's what everyone's doing. They're just like, yeah. So I went back to sleep. I was like, I don't understand this part of the story. Well, there's a, that's a definite mental connection to uh, all the stuff is like what we're seeing. Well, it's like what John Keel would say. It's like there's an interaction there. You can take a flashlight and wave it up and down and the thing might mimic your movements or respond to Morse code. Hmm. There's a definite kind of a psychic connection there, if you will. And a lot of times there isn't. But this object, I think, made such an impression because it is so visually tactile. You know, so you're not just seeing blinking lights or rotating lights in the night sky where it's kind of dark. It's just daylight sightings are uh, probably make more of an impression because you can see more. Rob or Chris, is there any more evidence of a nighttime sightings over being more prevalent than daytime sightings? The most common reported thing is lights in the sky at yeah. night. Like, that's night. the most common reported thing. Like, that would be, if we're going on the Hynek scale, you know, depending upon how close you look at that thing, it's a daylight disc sighting, is what you'd call it. Yeah. And those aren't as common, but you see plenty of reports on them. As far as I can tell, just from the cases that we've looked at now, the most common by far, and frankly, probably the most compelling, too, are the ones that are at nighttime. I think partly it's because of intrinsic kind of bias, like, or not intrinsic bias, but it's harder to immediately debunk a picture that you see of something at night that's just lights. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like lights in the sky without further information, it's still intriguing at least, and so you're going to investigate it further. But if it's daytime, I mean, one common thing that actually I have seen a lot of personally, even already just looking at these cases, are garbage bags that fly away. Yeah. <laughs> like garbage bags have a very triangular shape on one end yeah which is like really weird or like spherical or whatever and so people will 
look at a photo and I'll be like, that looks like a plastic bag or a garbage bag or something, right? <laughs> and a lot of the times that's what those cases end up being or not end up being, but a lot of times that's something that ends up happening. Another one is during the daytime too. You get a lot of times where people will report a drone by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another one. But I would say that there have been some, I mean, there was one that I excitedly sent over to Rob and Sam and Marie, Sam from the Not Alone podcast, yes. where I was like, oh my God, look at this craft. This is such a good one. And then Sam sent me back a thing from Party City, which was a, a gold letter A balloon. And he was like, don't you think it could just be this? And I, and I was like, oh yeah, it could be that. Dang. So I don't know. I mean, I think for the most part, nighttime ones are the most common because yeah, it's lights. They're the most easiest, both the most easiest to mistake for something else and the most easy to see, frankly. And also I think two daytime ones, you show a photo of like that to a friend or a family member or something, it's going to be easier for them also to debunk it immediately in some cases, right? Like right. even me looking at these with a critical with a critical eye, I was like so ready for that to be a UFO, a really good photo. Mm. It's a dang party balloon. <laughs> well, you know? yeah, and Maybe, like the weird like, thing the weird thing about it too was it's like it wasn't a full A. It was missing part of the A on the end of it. So it wasn't even a full Oh, you guys gotta a. send you gotta send that to us. Yeah, totally. No, it was like <laughs> I think that one was taken underwater. I think it was some sort of water toy or water whatever, because like you're saying, it's during the day. It's a blue background or a blue sky, which very easily could be a pool. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's like a, and, it's a perfectly blue background. Right. Like there are no clouds, there are no imperfections. It's just blue. Yeah. Well, it sounds like mm. LA, honestly. If you want some, we could probably send some your way because <laughs> there's plenty outside. I mean, snowing here. Yeah. Hello, everyone. This is Sawbones here to congratulate Scott and Forrest on their shining 100th episode. The amount of research and work that it takes to craft each episode is truly astonishing. And the end result is that every show becomes instantly legendary. Congratulations, gentlemen, and to the ARC team of researchers. And just as an aside, I'd like to confess. It was me, Mrs. Sawbones. I put Bella in the witch elm. She said she wanted it that way. Okay, Tess, so you were kind enough to record your story. Thank you, your podcasting <laughs> debut, and uh, submit it to us. And uh, we sent it out mm-hmm. to Sarah for edit and uh, Ryan for a little sound. And so we're going to play that now. Hey, it's Tess, and I wanted to share my story about Henryton State Hospital. So just to set the scene, I was 18, a freshman in college, and really, really excited to go urban exploring at Henryton because it began as a tuberculosis ward in 1918 and throughout its years became a general sanatorium, which is really interesting, and closed down around 1985. It's a huge, sprawling campus. There are about a half dozen buildings. It's in Patapsco State Park. It's a really, really beautiful area that I'm sure has some strange stories. So at the point that this experience takes place. We had already been there for four or five hours. Like I said, it's in the middle of the woods. It's very picturesque. It's very quiet and almost relaxing if you kind of forget for a second that you're in an abandoned sanatorium. (laughs) So we were in the interior hallway coming up the staircase and looking down one of the offshoot hallways that was lighted really well because both of the walls were outside walls and had windows because they were all treatment rooms or what I assumed to be treatment rooms. So 
we were sitting, you know, at the top of that hallway, kind of in the light to talk about, okay, do we want to leave? What do we want to do next? Blah, blah, blah. And then I start looking down the hallway and I notice that, you know, these must be patient rooms because they have windows and they're blue and yellow and green. And then I noticed something a little off. And that little off thing was there was a pink room smack dab in the middle of the hallway. Unlike all the other rooms, it was the only pink room. So it was completely alone in its coloring. And I turned to my friend and I said, in all my 18 year old wisdom, they shouldn't have a pink hospital room. That's silly, it's like related to red. Why would you do that? I bet it put undue stress on patients. Like you should have lighter, airier colors. And as I was going on saying this sentence, the door of the pink room slammed shut. And I took off down the stairs. Now, it almost sounded to me like a gunshot, not because I thought it was a gunshot, but because it was the loudest thing we had heard all day. So my friend met me at the bottom of the stairs. I had obviously run down a lot faster than he had because I was the one that said, you know, the negative comment about the pink room and I did not want to disturb whoever was residing in the pink room. So he came downstairs, he was like, I didn't see anyone up there, there was no wind. I agreed, I said, let's just not talk about it, let's get in the car and go home. And that's what we did. So that's my one and only, almost possibly paranormal slash who knows what it was experience. I'm just gonna shout out like, hey Tess, let's go to an abandoned sanitarium. Because that's how every really good, stable, non-eventful story starts, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, boy. So this really, uh, has this stuck with you, Tess? Or is it just something you had to dig up when I said, hey, come up with a scary story for Arkapalooza? No, I think about it quite a bit. And it happened about an hour away from where I am now. So it's kind of at the back of my mind. And it did get bulldozed in 2013 or 2014. So you can't visit it anymore. Uh And also, if people listen to Serial, Patapsco State Park plays a part in the Adnan Sayed case. So I think that even like upped the ante for it being this extra strange, extra weird kind of liminal place. I missed this, but I should have been paying closer attention. But was this an actual approved okay tour or were you doing urban exploration here completely and totally urban exploring to the point where it's guarded at the or it was guarded at the top of a long driveway where you pull in if you weren't a little bit of a teenage rebel yeah um (laughs) we actually had to go through a back way walk through a park like area and then we had to wade through a creek that was about up to our waist to get in the back what you waded through a creek to get to an abandoned sanitarium (laughs) wow If I don't know exactly where the restaurant I'm going to is in downtown Minneapolis, I don't go. (laughs) I'm I'm just like my date. It's like, I can't get there. I don't want to get lost. I don't know. (laughs) Wow. That's intense. Yeah. So the door shuts. Mm -hmm. Did you notice like a hairs on the back of your neck stand up, chill, change the temperature or anything like that? Or was it just like... Bam, it shuts and you run. Even thinking about it now, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. So yeah, I totally went into this kind of primal fear. I didn't feel a chill, but one thing that I think about sometimes is, so we were standing in this like, you know, there's no electricity, it's an abandoned sanatorium. So it was completely dark in the hallways that weren't, didn't have windows. And as I was turning and running down the stairs, the dark felt darker. And I know that's, 
a very strange thing to say, but it felt like it was on top of me. It was so dark. And all I could do was run. By the way, if you are urban exploring, please do not run downstairs. That is not smart because Henryton had experienced fire, which means there was a lot of holes in the ceiling yeah. and a lot of water got in. So it was not very safe that I was running down dilapidated stairs. Well, urban exploring in general is not safe just on no. uh, on general principle. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no, groups I'm that 18. do it. I am older now. Yeah, yeah. There's groups that do like guided stuff in New York. I never found out if that was sanctioned, but they would take you like under the oh, sidewalk. Oh yeah, the urban and stuff. exploration. Yeah, but anyway, very glad you didn't get hurt. But did you have to go back <laughs> through the creek to leave? Yes. Well, are you like special ops or something? <laughs> I really wanted to do something cool. Um, I actually have a bunch of pictures of it too. Oh, uh, that was another thing. Yes, uh, immediately. Right. Any <laughs> ARC members here that have interesting links or photos? Please send them our way. We'll put them up on the page for this episode. Yeah. Please share whatever you got. Tess, did, when you look through the photos, are you looking for any like strange light streaks or mists of any kind? So there was about six or seven different buildings and an abandoned pool. And one thing that I noticed was a lot, there was a lot of, you know, annoying high school like defacement. That, yeah. Sure. Graffiti. That just wasn't really like anything and it wasn't scary, but you could tell it was trying to be weird or creepy and like yeah. there were sigils everywhere. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of odd symmetry in all the buildings. All the cabinets would be tilted 90 degrees. Hmm. Okay. I have a picture of that too. Now, I don't know if someone just went in and did that to be creepy or if they just opened that way because of the wind. But Hmm. one thing I noticed that for a building that's been trashed by high school kids, by urban explorers, by people for decades, there's a lot of odd things that were symmetrical. That's interesting. This pink room, it was the only room that was pink. Yes. And it was in the middle of the hallway. And pink is a color you use to make people crazy, right? Not to well, that, not to make <laughs> them feel better. Well, no, that, from what I'd heard, because they'd try this in, in prisons when an experiment in different colored rooms, pink initially calms you down, but after a while will start to agitate you. Yeah. So there's some colors like, that's why, was it Bondi blue or Bondi blue is used for windows for a lot of time as the default blue color because that is the most pleasing and relaxing. And grays, you know, that's why they were trying to get prisons away from being gray because that just makes people depressed. But yeah. well, you're already in prison, so. There's yeah. a lot of things yeah, to be right, depressed You're right, you're doing well. But, like, yeah. but some colors, yeah. Yellow, it can, I think, agitate you or, or not or have the opposite effect. So mm-hmm. I always ask people this, before that moment where the door slammed, what was your feeling? I mean, I know it's kind of creepy and it's dark and you're in a, in a very strange place, but was there any kind of gut feeling aside from maybe this presence then not wanting you in there and maybe chasing you out? Well, I guess that's what I meant when, when I went down the stairs, the black, like yeah. how dark it was, felt even darker right. in a way that I haven't ever before or since felt that like, well, have you ever seen Spirited Away? No, yeah, b- bits haven't. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like his like black kind of airy thing was on top of me. Yeah. Like I was wearing his mask and it was very uncomfortable. Mm. So you're saying it felt oppressive? Yes, without mm. a doubt. I didn't feel okay. a chill. And before that moment, we'd been there for four or five hours. Like it's not like I had felt that way the whole time. Even when we were leaving, like it was like almost as soon as I was out of the building, I was okay. Yeah. Hmm. So hmm. even on the grounds. Yeah. Aside from still pictures, did you get any kind of video or audio recordings of the place? No, this was in 2012. So <laughs> It hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> 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 well, like, I didn't even get a picture of the room 
of that hallway because we had only been in the building, I think, for like five or ten minutes and we decided to go to the fourth floor. Right. Again, please, if you're urban exploring, either make sure it's safe <laughs> or don't go up flights of stairs. I also have a picture of me standing on the roof of a building. Don't do that. Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> Just don't. It sounds cool and I got a cool story out of it, but I think it would have been more worthwhile to go with a group. I uh, hopped a freight train once, so I think it's right up there with the dumbest thing I've well. probably ever done in my life. <laughs> it's so dangerous. Kids routinely oh. get lose limbs doing that. If you want an even crazier story, I used to do paranormal investigations with a group in central New York, and we went on this one case... It was this woman, she felt there was a lot of bad stuff happening there. She was living in this old church that had been converted into a house. It had to have been from the 1800s or something like that. And Mistake one of the guys one. that we... <laughs> <laughs> One of the guys that we uh, that we had with us, he was new. Mm -hmm. His thing was is like he liked to antagonize anything and everything. Uh -huh. So where we felt it the most was in the attic. It just had this really heavy, oppressive feeling. And I'm sure being summer, it didn't help. But the house kind of had a vibe to it. And he's just antagonizing this thing all night. And when we were done, we were getting ready to pack up. He goes, uh, hey, can you check my back? So I was like, yeah, sure lifted up his shirt and there is a gash about five inches long it broke skin mm. and there was nothing that could have done it it looked literally like somebody took a blade to his back oh my god mm. you know i only napped for one hour today with my cat <laughs> <laughs> and i'm just like i'm you having feeling a hard time? it i a hard time. I explored yeah. a lot today. Yeah, yeah. But what was what was also Scary. interesting what, too? What are you guys? I don't, I don't know. I'm just Stop sitting it. here. I'm just sitting here, and I'm just. I keep going back to. It's an abandoned sanitarium, and she's all like, "So don't go on the roof. Be really careful, you guys." And I'm like, "Tess, God love you." Yeah. But you went across the, you know, the river, and I'm like, "Still scary." Y'all going into an abandoned sanitarium. How? <laughs> I, 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 I can't. No, no. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. I can't say it would be high on my list either. And like <laughs> where I live, it was a hotbed for tuberculosis because people would come up here because the air was a lot cleaner. But a buttload of people died up here. There are so many historic buildings and houses up in this area because that's where people came and got treated. And the weird thing was, is like when I was a kid, we were sold this myth that his name was Dr. Gary Trudeau. And like the Trudeau family is big in our area. For an example, the guy that uh, does Doonesbury, uh, yeah. Gary Trudeau. Yeah. He's yeah. from my hometown. Okay. The biggest event that we have in our hometown every year is Winter Carnival, and we build a nice palace. And actually what he does is like whatever our theme is for Winter Carnival that year, he actually illustrates the buttons that they end up selling. So the myth that we've been sold for a long time is that Gary Trudeau kind of not cured tuberculosis during that time but he like you know was successful in treating it but the thing is is like just a lot of people died up here during the late 1800s just from tuberculosis so yeah. if you want to antagonize more tuberculosis ghosts come right on up i mean we got plenty of oh, man Jonesbury isn't even funny you stupid ghost <laughs> i never get it stupid ghost political satire isn't on my sunday comic page <laughs> 
I actually really do enjoy Doonesbury. Sorry, <laughs> Gary Trudeau. Yeah, he's great. And any Doonesbury ghosts. All righty. Cogs, it's our understanding that you had a story you were going to share. Yeah. Since we're all here, let's hear it. All right. This one we're just going to do live. We'll do it live. Do it oh, live. <laughs> so my family is all like super Italian, very like traditional and very, I would say, almost superstitious, I guess. Like, so my grandma was from Croatia. She had a lot of, like, superstitious ideas, right? So we talk about it on the show. She loved lemons. She thought they could cure everything. She, you know, swore that eating a red pepper every day kept her cholesterol down or something. I don't know. Might have been the medicine she was on. <laughs> but one thing, though, that she always claimed was that she had vivid dreams, just like I have vivid dreams. And I don't know if my, I actually don't know. I've never asked my mom if she has vivid dreams, but my mom was never like weirded out when I was a kid and would talk about my scary dreams or nightmares or whatever. And even still, I get very vivid nightmares sometimes that like, I'll have a nightmare and then I just don't sleep the rest of the night. You know what I mean? Like it's it. So when I was a kid, these nightmares sometimes would kind of like what Forrest was saying in his story, bleed into wakefulness at the end of the night. And that's as far as I can tell anyways. Now as like a rational adult. I had two experiences where I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that's like I'm thinking of stories. I have a lot of stories actually, I guess. <laughs> so the two that really stick out to me are kind of related where I would have these dreams where I would remember them as if they happened in real life. But in investigating it further as an adult now, I don't think they actually happened. I think they were dreams brought on by either fever in one case or just this tendency towards nightmare, I guess. But so I was in bed, I woke up and it was like 3am and my mom used to work the night shift at her job because she wanted to be around during the day when I was around. So she worked late hours. So she would leave for work at like five o'clock and then come home at like six in the morning. Right. And so my dad was asleep, but his TV was on. And so I went into their bedroom to watch TV and eat from those holiday popcorn tins, which I also wasn't supposed to be doing. <laughs> so I was eating probably just the caramel corn and watching something on TV. And I saw like a bright green light shine, like almost shine through. So I'm sitting on this bed and the bed is facing towards the hallway. And so the TV is on the wall in front of the bed. And then to the left of the TV is a door and then right behind where the TV is, where this wall of the bedroom is, is the bathroom. And our bathroom had this really cheesy, fake stained glass bathroom sliding window, and that was green. And so I at first thought maybe it was like a light from outside shining through the green stained glass. And I don't know now if this is like, I felt like there were two things looking at me in the green, like something's in the green, like a bright green light and kind of a white center it was more bright towards the top of the door, but it was a green, almost like a haze everywhere on the side there. And then that was it. And it was so bright that like I couldn't see anything behind it or whatever. And that's literally all I remember of it is I remember seeing the green light and then that's it. I don't remember anything else after that. The other time that something like this happened to me was I was in my uncle's house in Brooklyn and my uncle's basement is where we used to do like all the family things. And upstairs to me was always creepy. It's all marble. So it's very echoey and like dark. There's not a lot of windows. This always had like a spooky vibe to me. This night that this happened, as far as I can remember, I was super sick. Like I had a really high fever. My mom was considering taking me to the hospital. 
I was sick. And the reason that I remember this so distinctly besides this dream was that it was really weird that I was actually in my Uncle Barton and Aunt Maria's bedroom because their room was the only one that had air conditioning at the time. So they let me go in there and I, I never played in there because like you go in and it's this old style Italian oak furniture and like, right? Like I was like, I'm not playing in there. No way. <laughs> and there's like all this kind of, you know, semi creepy Renaissance religious iconography on the walls. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not about that. But I remember walking out of the bedroom and then going down the hallway towards their front door. And this is like a marble hallway. And there was a white something, a white glow that came up and felt like it was oppression, I guess, is the best word for it, like Tess was saying, but almost like it was seeing me, like it was watching me, right? And like judging me. And, and you know, what I mean, <laughs> wow. it was very a bad feeling. And so I remember thinking that it looked like a dove, like a bird, because it, it seemed to have wings, you know, like there was a shine off of it, whatever. And I was freaking out. And so I, I remember seeing it and kind of running away. And again, that's like all I really remember is seeing it, freaking out and running away. Like, I don't know where I ran to, whatever. And then when I told my mom about it, she was like, you used to have those dreams all the time. Your brain used to boil in your head and you just had these weird freak out dreams and it's whatever. You're fine. Right. Oh, okay. okay. Thanks, mom. (laughs) That's totally, that's like, why did you take me to the damn hospital or something? Right. (laughs) So those are the two scariest events that have ever happened to me in the sense of paranormal stuff. Yeah. I'm fairly certain if I read other people's stories of similar events or whatever, that, you know, mine was a dream probably and whatever. It doesn't really bother me. It doesn't sit with me really. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of one of those things where I just thought it was like par for the course that everyone as a kid had these weird overactive dreams and imaginations kind of things. Because like, you never know really what other people's dreams are like. You never ask, what does you thinking about something sound like or look like in your own head? Yeah. You never ask someone that question, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And so you don't know... Until you ask someone that, what it's if you're really doing it the right way or the wrong way or, or whatever. And so it wasn't really until I became an adult and started talking to people would say that they don't remember ever reading anything in dreams. Well, I do. I've had dreams where like I read signs and stuff or like people don't remember their dreams. Well, I do. I remember my dreams pretty much every day. It's just weird. I have a lot of weird dream stories. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and it's like, because they're dreams, I'm just like, whatever, but... Anything ever come true? Any kind of a prescient type of dream? I have had that happen to me a number of times. My grandma claimed that she was able to tell the future in the sense that she saw her husband die before he did. Hmm. So my grandfather died relatively quickly, I want to say, from mesothelioma. Mm. They didn't think he had anything wrong with him or like he just seemed to come down with a cold and then all of a sudden he was like dead the next week. Right. And so my grandma claimed that she was able to see beforehand that he was going to die. She said that she dreamed that his shadow basically was following her around. Mm. And so I have had times where mine are never important. Mine are always little things like... I will have a dream. And the thing is, too, they're not predictive. They are descriptive. So mm-hmm. it's like I'll have something happen to me my, during my day, like my daily life, where I don't know, like, OK, I'm going to have a blueberry muffin or something. I'll be like, oh, my God, I had 
I remember dreaming that I was going to buy this blueberry muffin. It's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Yeah. It's like, did I get up that morning and be like, I want a blueberry muffin? Yeah. Because at one time months ago, I had a dream about buying a blueberry muffin at a Whole Foods in a black shirt. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. It's never anything like you're going to get into a car accident and then I don't drive that day and I miss a giant pileup or anything like that. Yeah. The way that I've always thought of this myself, at least, is the brain is such a powerful computer that it would almost surprise me if people weren't able to predict stuff in their dreams more often than they think they do. I've never had a dream where it's like suddenly I'm in Arizona and then I go to Arizona and I'm like, oh my God, I knew I would go to Arizona. You know what I mean? Like the most recent one actually that I was thinking about this the other day was I had a dream that I applied for a job. I have a friend who's at a company that I really want to work for or would like to get a position for. And I had a dream that I applied for the job to be her boss by accident. And then when I talked to her about it, she was like, that's to be my boss. And then she got like really mad at me and was like, I'm never helping you again, whatever. (laughs) Well, that's like a curb your enthusiasm. (laughs) Okay. I then did that. I then applied to be her boss by accident. Oh, oh, I did. I applied to be her boss by accident. I applied to a job that looked really good. And she texted me and she's like, that's to be my boss. LOL. And I was like, in in that moment, I was like, Yeah, I was so confused about it that I was like, I thought I had applied for the same job. Yeah. I was like, did I apply for her boss's job a second time like an idiot? (laughs) And then I looked back and I hadn't. I just had dreamed this and it was so real to me that I was like, oh my God. So I don't know. That's why when one of the first episodes I listened to you guys that really freaked me out was the Kakowski Intruder episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was so similar to so much stuff that the weird sort of Russian Eastern European grandma. Yeah. The sort of like predictions and dreams and people having similar stories. And so my cousin has now told me that he actually had a a ghost sighting in his bedroom, which was in that hallway that I saw the white thing in. Yeah. But his sister has never seen anything, she says. So I don't know. Go figure. Mm. I don't know, man. I said I didn't have anything and now I have like a billion things. I find that that happens a lot. You don't remember something. It's little triggers here and there. It's that oppressive feeling. Quickly in my mind, I was like, I wonder if I've ever felt that, just kind of unrelated. And I'm not sure if I remembered to tell it when we were doing the Henry Plummer story or afterwards. I think maybe I said it on an episode after that, but you can go visit Bannock and, and the hills and you can go see the gallows where they hung him, which ironically he had commissioned. It's not in the same exact place, but you can go up where it's on the hill and there's a little uh, state park marker and, you know, it's totally open and you can see the whole town uh, and the main street from up in the hills. And I was walking around there. My parents were down at the bottom, probably, you know, just poking around the visitor center and looking at old buildings and I could see them, but I was way high up. I just love to go tromping off by myself and I brought a sport bottle full of water. And I just remember as after a while poking around, I got intensely thirsty, like, insanely thirsty and I just couldn't figure it out. I was sipping on the water and I I ran out of that. And then I got this feeling of like, I better get down there and have some water or I could die up here. Again, not like a ghost feeling like someone's watching me or some kind of oppressive feeling other than for some strange reason, I am going to die of thirst if I do not make it down there right away. And I started walking faster and faster really starting to feel the effects. And then, you know, you're thinking like, where's the first place? I got I got to find a, a drinking fountain. I immediately have to get to a drinking fountain right away and went to the visitor center and, and uh, was still thirsty, but I never really thought of it then as something ushering me out of the hills. But now that I look back on it, it's like- Are we Dr. ever alone? Yeah, are we ever alone? Yeah. Like, get out, mm-hmm. get out, and yeah. go get a drink of water. 
Yeah. But yeah, you, you don't think of those kind of and things. And we're back you, to, you know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> some, <laughs> some kind of mental uh, nudge. You know, how dare you call uh, this room pink? I wanted it that way. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't get to see it yeah. now. Get yes. out of here, you kids. You're getting influenced to leave. I've been there myself because I've been on investigations and like, there was this one time, I, it just felt like there was somebody standing behind me. Mm. I was standing in this one room, this one woman's bedroom. We were just, you know, asking questions. And yeah, I just got this vibe that something was standing behind me. And then all of a sudden she turns and looks at me and she says, yeah, it's standing behind you. And I'm like, God, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I don't even have dreams like that. I don't even, I might remember a dream once in maybe three months. Oh, really? It's kind of nice to be able to shut yourself down and like, for whatever reason, I'm able to do that. I think it's because I used to get really worried about my dreams. Mm. I used to think, okay, I dream that I'm going to rob a store and I'd be like, oh my God, I'm such a bad person. I want to rob a store. <laughs> right? Like when I was little. Wow. Even today still like stuff like that'll happen where I'll have a dream or like, oh my God, would I ever do that in real life? I was such a scumbag in that dream. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I think it's because I kind of have conditioned myself over my lifetime to remember dreams and then give them unnecessary importance. Do you know what I mean? Mm, that it's like, yeah. I remember them now. So yeah. I have been expressly told by doctors when I talk about this kind of stuff that if I want to stop remembering my dreams, I just have to stop thinking about them when you wake up. Right. Mm. Yeah, okay, I'll just stop thinking about something. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you can't stop thinking yeah. about something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, going to happen. Disturbing. But yeah, I mean, if you want to start having spooky dreams like I do, Rob, you could probably just no, write down. Because yeah. <laughs> the moment I stopped remembering dreams, it's been for the last few years, but before that... And probably the reason why I gave you those dang books about possessions and stuff like that (laughs) for a period of about a year, I kept having this reoccurring dream where I was in that scenario of trying to expel a demon out of somebody's body and my perspective would keep changing. I would either be the possessed person or I would be the priest. And it just kept happening over and over again until I'm just like, yep, don't want that anymore. And it's just like nothing. Well, that fixed it. Yeah. And now you can have my crazy books. Man. Yeah. Thanks for the crazy books. <laughs> well, hey, no yeah. Problem. I mean, we used the, them on, on at least the show. show. Yeah. 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 That figured in. The first person to ever tell me about Father uh, Malachi Martin was John, my friend from school, who's the father in the Sludge Entity uh, yeah. episodes. And, uh, and because mm. we'd kind of talked about that. And of course, people would say, like, well, there you go. He's preconditioned to have some kind of a possession experience from way back. And he's really into it. But. You know, he wasn't an overly religious guy. I mean, he's they practice, they're Catholic, they go to church and they go to mass, but they're not zealots, but you'll see people kind of gravitate. It's like, well, there's the reason. They're influencing their kid, but I can't say that that's the case. They're pretty normal. So, uh, Marie, we're getting now into some of the, I think, I feel like a little bit of the more scarier stories. No, that's, that's what's weird. We see this opposite. Maria told me the story, <laughs> and I thought, it's like, well, that's heartwarming. I guess unless you didn't like a family member, then it's the, uh, you know, maloko, I look using the evil eye on you. Let's let our audience decide. Okay. Maria, are you ready to tell this story? I am. So let's be clear in first part, it's not my story. I, like Forrest and somewhat like Chris, have absolutely nothing interesting, supernatural or otherwise that has occurred, really. But I was going back and I was thinking about it and I was like, what about that? No, no. That was that was when I left the TV on. That's right. <laughs> but my husband, who is, I should just set the stage because you guys like to go into like 
when they're talking about a supernatural event, you kind of have to give context to the person who is telling the story and say, well, they're not the neighborhood coop. This is down to earth, you know, salt of the earth people with jobs and so forth. And I would say that of my husband, Paul. He can't tell a good lie to save his life. I've seen it. And he just, he literally falls apart. He's the kind of guy, like, if you lose your car keys, you get locked out of your house. He's the one who's always very rational and has a game plan and is able to maneuver back to, okay, everything's going to be all right. And so he's very grounded with this stuff. And he also coined the term free search for all ARC members, free searchers. Free searchers, because he's still looking for some royalties coming off. And I'm like, I'm like, baby, you just keep waiting, okay? Because I'm in line before you. Um, we'll, we'll, get him a, we'll get him a free hat. Don't, yeah, now, now I'm going to hear about the hat. Oh, um, so he has like one or two stories that are supernatural stories. This the one I'm going to tell being the one. And I will say he never has changed any of the tenor, the details. He might remember something a little bit more. But he's not embellishing them, and he honestly wholeheartedly believes it, and I believe him. So I almost think of it as like, well, that's somewhat my story. So this is about his grandma, and he wrote it all out for me because he didn't want me to take any creative liberties. <laughs> that's probably smart, yeah. <laughs> Which is not a bad idea, because I will. Oh, yeah. I will. Um, it was a cold New Year's Day in 1981 at my Aunt Joan's Upper East Side Manhattan apartment. Oh. My mom... My aunt and I were on a quest to find something to inscribe my grandmother's headstone. She had passed away at the age of 80 and was laid to rest next to her first husband, who left her a widow with four children and one on the way in a small one-bedroom apartment in the Bronx, circa 1940. Both my grandma and my grandfather on my mother's side came on different boats from County Wicklow, Ireland. So they were immigrants. They immigrated here. They met in New York and married and settled down. The two had four daughters, and Grandma was pregnant with their only son when he passed away. When all of her kids were grown, she uh, moved away. She moved to Southern California. There she met a man and soon married, even into her 70s, which is sort of cute. By the time she reached 80, an age she always wanted to achieve, she passed away, twice widowed. She was buried next to her first husband in the Bronx soon after. For weeks, the family worked on getting the perfect memorial stone that captured the Irish couple set to rest below. To that end, on this day in New York, my mother, my aunt, and I combed through an old suitcase that my grandmother had left behind. The case was filled with mostly pictures that were taken throughout her life. Most of the pictures had notes with dates and locations and who were in the photos on the back, written in her hand. But also, deep within the suitcase was a spiral-bound steno pad, My aunt pulled it out and handed it to me to inspect for a clue as to what to write on the headstone. As I opened the pad, I quickly realized it was written in my grandmother's hand, and it appeared to be notes for an informal biography that she had written about herself. She talked about her childhood in Balton Grass, her trip across the Atlantic, how she met and fell in love with her husband, who grew up only a few miles from her in Nakanana, Ireland, but met thousands of miles away. She worked as a second-floor maid in Manhattan, and her husband worked as a grocery clerk. She went on about her children, losing her husband, but eventually gaining many grandchildren, of which I am the youngest and most beloved. He had to put that in there. (laughs) Uh, As we were reading to the end, we found the treasure that we were seeking. And she sums up her experiences and wrapped up her story on the very last page. 
She stated, well, I guess in the end, it was an Irish life well lived. As I looked down at the bottom of the page, I realized that she had put the date that she wrote this story in the steno pad. It was exactly 10 years to the day on New Year's Day, but she had written this. So the exact same day. The three of us looked at each other and realized that that was the date. When that happened, the lights in the room dimmed for a long second and then returned back. We all realized that grandma was there with us now. And in the end, we unanimously agreed that grandma's headstone should read an Irish life well lived. Oh my gosh. Mm. So 10 years to the day, and he didn't put it in here, but pretty much the same time. Yeah. The same time. They found this steno pad, this random steno pad that she had written in it. The very last thing she wrote, even though it wasn't the end of her life and she had gone through with sort of random remembrances, roughly in chronological order, was, all in all, it was an Irish life well lived. And then, just like a Spielberg movie, man, the lights went down, held for the beat, and went back up. I have two questions. Yes. Both of which do not match the sweetness of this story. He is the favorite grandson. Okay, I, I in know. In case that was the question well, coming out, there's quite a few. <laughs> he is the treasured one. Keep going. He is the treasure. Okay, so, number one, the mm-hmm. grandpa grew up in a town called Nakanana. Nakanana, Ireland, yes. That's so weird. My grandma grew up in Strikanona, Italy. See, it's thank old country. Thank you, Forrest. Thank you, Forrest. <laughs> what is well, happening? Thank you. Not Are they both Nona. saying, like, to, 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 you're suggesting you should hit your grandmother? That's what it yeah, sounds it's like. Strikanona okay. or Nakanona. 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 Yeah, there you go. The yeah. second question I have, this one is also less serious than the story requires. So it was 10 years before she died? 10 years to the date that they were reading it. So not that she had died. So she had oh, she had passed. Okay. She had passed. She'd been laid to rest with her first husband in the Bronx. And they were trying to figure out what to put on the headstone. They wanted to figure, you know, what they wanted to have something. And Paul comes from a very large family and very difficult for them to land on or agree on like what sure. to have for breakfast mm. or how to take public transportation. So something on yeah, a headstone yeah. is going to be, you know, sort of an epic battle. And this is them sort of calling through everything and trying to find what would be appropriate. It basically found them. Oh, that's interesting. Wow, okay. See, I told told you it was heartwarming, Scott. No, I'm not saying it's not heartwarming. (laughs) I'm just saying, you're right, it's not scary. Well, no, I mean, mean, it's a little scary. I mean, it's a little little weird. The lights are dimming. I mean, it it depends on what you believe, and it's interesting. You don't expect people to come back. And weigh in on like, yeah, that's it. That's the one. I wanted you to put that on there. I've heard this story, I would say, God, over a dozen times. And every time I try and like dig little holes and I'm like, come on, you know, the faulty electricity in your, you know, how many tech? Come on. It's a New York, (laughs) it's a New York apartment building, you know, know." and he's like, no, never, never has happened. I lived on the Upper West Side for seven years, I guess, in a building that was built in 1912. I did remodel it, but before the remodeling, and it got new electrical then, but even before that, and also at my office, which was in Soho for years and years, the power went out for seven years. It maybe went out twice. There weren't a lot of brownouts, none of that. Of course, this was the uh, early 2000s, so. I was going to say, during my entirety, I mean, growing up in New York, I can remember two blackouts, and they were like major events. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I remember those. Mm -hmm. Like, we never had a brownout. I mean, My grandma and my family lived in a, my extended family, my cousins and stuff, lived in a brownstone 
my uncle purchased in like 1910 or something oh, and it had been existing for years earlier. Right. Yeah. So like that's how same thing, like no problems, with electricity or anything. Paul is the favorite still. <laughs> he is the favorite. Yeah. And he is the favorite. Paul's story yeah. is the best one. And as, it's completely true. As he would attest to that as well within sure. his family. Yeah, I think that's a very sweet story. Yeah, it's always the context I look for that gives it meaning, you know, because otherwise, if you hadn't read the day that you're going through her stuff and you hadn't read that and lights dim, it's like, well, it just could be electricity. You know what I'm saying? It's the timing. Oh, that's and my the line. question. Yeah. Is, yeah. You said it was just like a steno pad? Yeah. It was like, again, just sort of an old diary. Not, it's not so much a diary, no, because I think it was more of her going back over her own short life. bursts of time and just sort of writing down what she remembered, right? So, so she didn't necessarily leave it for them to find. I mean, no. it, it wasn't in a place where it's like, here, I'm dead and gone, now read this. No, in fact, nobody really knew what was in this suitcase. So that was happenstance. Had, well, yeah, or you were guided to go, you know, eventually yeah. somebody probably would have looked through it. So they found the pad and they read it at this exact moment in time yeah. and then the lights dimmed right at the moment. I mean, I think the thing that is kind of crazy is that it is 10 years to the day. Yeah. But she a, wrote it. Right. That, yeah. To me, that was a pretty good. I know you just said this, point. but how much <laughs> earlier had she passed before this event? I want to say sh- probably um, under three weeks, uh-huh. two weeks. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. You know, okay. had, they had mm. had the service. Most of the family was still gathered there, but they were sort of getting back to normal life and they were just trying to figure out what to put on the headstone. I can't even imagine writing a the autobiography like of Mark Twain, right? He wanted published... Oh, what was it like a hundred years after his death or something? So everyone he knew would be dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't even imagine like it seems so um courageous actually of this woman to have actually written this thing in the first place. For me, that would seem so final and scary. You know what I mean? Like, I would be like, no, I'm still going to have adventures. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I could become president. I'm like 80 years old. Who knows? You know what I mean? Yeah, I see what Chris is saying. It's like, you don't know how long, but it turns out she had another decade. But at 70, she's like, yeah, here's my end line in the script. This is the final line I want to go out on. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she might have also just been like, you know, before I start having problems remembering this stuff. I mean, for me, I can't. can't. Well, we should start doing that next week then. I mean, and she was 70 when she was writing it. So I feel like she had such a massive, amazing life to begin with, you know, immigrating to the country, coming into New York, working all these jobs, having this immense family. You know, she met her first husband who, like I said, grew up minutes from her, but they found each other in New York, which is sort of an amazing happenstance. And then just almost this very epic kind of story that is amazing on its own. And then to have, you couldn't script it any better if it was Spielberg, right? You, you pull out, there's a, a, a suitcase and it's filled with, with photos that are, you know, her remembering people and about the family and with all the dates and everything written on the back, which again, I think is something that now we don't do as much because everything is technology based and it's already time stamped and it's already, you know, it's already has that happen for you, but to go back and to be able to do that and have that in one place with all these old photographs to me is just really, that's very moving as well. Yeah. I still think it is a little spooky. I won't lie. It's still a little spooky. Well, yeah, well, yeah no, because nobody's expecting a message from beyond. And yeah. That's a little, right. that, that grabs your attention. 
But it's kind of a nice thing that if you want to think about it that way, that, you know, our loved ones never really leave us. So the question is, though, so that ended up on the tombstone. That did. Yeah. That absolutely did. Who's going to argue with Nana well, after we, that, we, man? We with the so long God, folks. you could see what the woman could do. Yeah. Like, right. She's coming back from the <laughs> yeah, grave. You, you're right. you're going to listen to her. Yeah. But I will say, and I did ask Paul this because I, I had a feeling it may come up. I'm like, so when this happened, did you feel scared like was the family yeah and they were like no we didn't have any doubt that she was there with us like yeah. we knew everybody and, the three people in the room knew but you said before i think when you told me the story that they're all somewhat skeptical like you know they're oh god yeah yeah just you know <laughs> just that kind of the irish new york thing like they're no nonsense they don't put up with any of that kind of baloney uh, very much so very much mm. so well, I just think it's very particular that she picked an Irish life while well lived, not because obviously she was from Ireland, but Ireland has a really rich folkloric history, especially regarding death. Um, mm-hmm. My mom is Irish. So I think the fact that that's like the extra like cherry on top is that yeah. she's coming from a culture that has a very intimate and interesting view of death and of you know, those liminal places between reality and irreality and in human and not human and alive and dead. So it makes it even kind of more stunning. Yeah. Yeah. It does have a very literary feel to it. And that's why I was like, Paul, I'm not going to tell that one. You're mm-hmm. going to think I made that one up. <laughs> like, it's not. That happened. And I'm like, babe, I know I've heard it a number of times. I, know. <laughs> I will say the one time that I met Paul mm-hmm. and Marie actually we got three beers in and Paul was like, I saw a UFO once. <laughs> he did. This is the <laughs> other story. about it. All right. <laughs> and Marie was like, no. <laughs> I will say this. Even before free search, ever since he found out like the nature of the research that I was doing for the podcast, he was like, did you tell them my story about my grandma? I'm like, no, babe. I haven't even met these guys. They might want to even know about the UFO, the UFO ones. I'm like, I know, sweetheart. I'm sure it's an excellent story. I've heard it a few times. It'd be nice if I could meet them first and just like have them meet me. <laughs> okay, but because you know, I've got, I'm like, yes, thank you. Oh, man. As you may have surmised by now, we all had a lot to say. I had a lot to say without really saying much. <laughs> Which is why Arkapalooza, like so many episodes of our show, has now become a two-parter. It's actually really a three-parter because next week we were supposed to be dark, but we had so many great questions come in on Facebook for us that we decided to sit down with Tess and record responses to some of those too. That's right, and we've already done that, so even though we're not scheduled to have a show next week, watch your feeds for another commercial-free bonus episode, which will be Scott and I answering a few of those questions. We'll return the week after that with the final part of our Arkapalooza series, which you're not going to want to miss because the last two stories we got in from Ark members, well, let's just say they've both been keeping us up at night. Thanks so much for joining us and helping us get to 100 shows. A very special thanks to my dear friend Andrew Sherman, composer and partner at Butter Music and Sound, with offices in New York, Los Angeles, and Berlin. He was the ringmaster announcer at the beginning of tonight's show. Please remember to support our sponsors. They keep the show free and the lights on at Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Bolin. Hey, Richard Haddam here, and I just wanted to say... Hello, everyone. Fantastic. And just as an aside... I'll be listening alone in the dark and drunk. 
Our show is edited by Sarah Wendell, and our theme, which is available as a ringtone, is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends if you'd like to support the show in that way. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night.